Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into another week of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is the Monday edition of Sports Call. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of this show, and I've got Tom Peavy and Brent Daughtry with me here this afternoon. A lot to talk about after another weekend filled of sports. Uh, Some disappointing results for Auburn, particularly in the sport of basketball, as their trip to Nashville did not go as planned. We will break that one down. Uh, A lot of different things to hit on. The start of a new season of football with the XFL, uh, a new season of NASCAR underway, uh, a lot of different things to talk about. Auburn baseball underway. They taking two out of three in Plainsman Park from Indiana. Talk about that. We will have Kevin Ives on the program at 4 o'clock today. And, of course, as always on Monday, a best and worst of the weekend towards the end of the show and nightly TV guide at the end as well as birthdays and sports towards the beginning. So a filled Monday for you again. Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here today. Tom, we'll start with you. Hope you had a great weekend, sir. Yeah, it was a, it was a good weekend. And uh, sports-wise, mixed with, with some good and some bad, uh, really all a, a, across the spectrum of all the sports that are going on. We've kind of hit that time of the year that there's a lot going on all at one time through various sports. Uh, you, you got baseball, softball getting getting started up. Basketball still going. Gymnastics still going. Uh, not a good one for the gymnastic squad there's reasons for that but still not a good showing for uh for those ladies um but yeah a lot going on xfl started uh daytona 500 just a lot a lot a lot a lot uh, nba all-star game um we we saw a, a young unknown potentially as they say save the slam dunk competition yeah in mac mcclung um so yeah just a lot going on. There is a, a lot of things to, to hit on and also have some uh, potential college football rule changes to talk a little and co- bit about. And college football um, rule changes. So a lot on and off the, the playing field uh, for sure. A lot to hit on today. Brent, hope you had a great weekend as well. I know you were quite busy, but appreciate <laughs> you for doing that and appreciate you being here today. Yeah, man. I was uh, I was up at the office all weekend, board hopping Auburn softball, which we talked about. And a, a great showing from those girls, 5-0 and on the weekend, won the Tiger Invitational, which you know, being the the hosting team you would hope to win, but, you know, to go out there and do it and, and to beat some some pretty good softball teams. Obviously, you were expected to come out of this undefeated, but still wasn't going to be easy, and it wasn't easy all the time, but you still end up uh, ha- having just a, a, a great showing from Auburn softball. Uh, Auburn basketball, you know, that, that'll probably be our main focus today. Not a great showing in Nashville. Uh, didn't play poorly, but didn't play well enough, uh, and you know, there there's some other factors we'll get into there, and they're they're, you know, it, we'll we'll inevitably wind up talking about the officiating of that game, and there is a statistic uh, that I would like to point out when we get to that part of the topic, but 
Yeah, it just a, a, a bad show. And Tom touched on gymnastics. Yeah, the gymnastics wasn't great, but you were also going with kind of your secondary rotation. Suni Lee did go, Sophia Groth did go, and uh, Darian Goburn competed in a couple of events as well. But other than that, you you mostly had your your second team out there, so that that's why that score wasn't too great. But yeah, uh, overall, uh, a great and baseball. Man, I almost forgot about baseball. Great showing over the weekend from baseball. Even though you didn't get the sweep that you wanted, you still took two out of three. You won the series and a really good showing. We uh, Ike Irish won SEC Freshman of the Week. Uh, great showing from him, uh, and he looks he looks kind of like to be the next guy up, the the next really great Auburn baseball player. So we're we, it, only been three games, but a lot of, a lot to love from Ike Irish. Yeah, that's a name that we heard Kevin Ives talk a little bit about. Uh, in our interview with him before the season started last week. And then also, if you listen to some of the coaches talk, Ike Irish was the newcomer uh, that that could make a big impact in that lineup and saw great stuff from Joseph Gonzalez on Saturday. Again, we'll talk a lot of Auburn baseball with Kevin Ives uh, coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. But, yeah, we'll start off with uh, what's probably on a lot of people's minds, and that is another close road loss, another game in which Auburn men's basketball had opportunities to win and was not able to get it done down the stretch they fall at Vanderbilt 67-65 Vandy has now won five straight Uh, Auburn is now uh, continuing their tough time in road games and uh, especially just games that are close in general as Auburn has not won a game of five points or closer since the month of December when they played Florida inside an Neville Arena and squeaked one out that time and Brant was on the Thursday show with me and he asked me what kind of win I would want Auburn Auburn to have would I prefer a close win in uh, in the clutch that they that they fight through and finish off or would I prefer a thirty point blowout and uh, we both noted of course the preference is a win of any kind we're not uh, we're not uh, trying to be picky there but uh, in the form of that question I did say trying to get a close win would be most beneficial to Auburn because they have not done that in a while and unfortunately it lined up for them they have the opportunity to win a close game. And they were not able to do it. This time, a little bit different. They did hit a clutch shot late. Katie Johnson tied it at 65 with just over 10 seconds to play. They also had a couple other baskets in the under four stretch that that gave them the lead. Uh, they had, or at least tied the game. They had a Wendell Green shot that tied the game with three minutes left. A Flanagan jumper that tied the game with two minutes left. A, a Wendell Green one out of two from the foul line. They gave Auburn a brief 62 to 61 lead, and then ultimately missed a shot, but then got the Katie Johnson three to tie however a defensive breakdown dooms the tigers in the final seconds and they fall to vandy 67 65 your guys's takes on, on the game uh once again auburn just not being able to close out a game um and you, yeah you mentioned they hit the shot but then you've got to play defense and, and i mean and it was a, a defensive breakdown and you gave the guy a wide open drive to the hoop um there the last little bit uh the biggest anomaly uh looking at the box score is once again free throws uh the free throw differential on here is insane auburn led uh in pretty much every single category that you wanted out of them uh except for uh they just they had no answer for liam robbins who scored 24 points for uh for vandy but you look at the the free throws and that's where he did most of his damage that dude that one guy was 17 of 20 yeah yeah yeah. Seven to one guy shot twenty free throws. They were twenty of twenty seven. Liam or Liam James Harden Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> so Auburn was five of ten. So Auburn 
that so that half one the free throws he did. It literally as a team, Auburn attempted half of the free throws that Robbins did at twenty. Auburn only attempted ten. Twenty of twenty-seven. Auburn was five of ten. So they fifty percent, but you only shot ten. Um, and I, I and there there's things that you you know you question with the officiating when you see lopsided like that, but then when you keep compounding some of these games that have that lopsided differential it, it makes you wonder it, you know or is, is Auburn getting a little too reckless with some of their play sometimes because I just I find it hard to believe that the, the the officials are just out to get Auburn in there it's like you know we're gonna we're gonna make you play a different style of play but we're gonna let Vanderbilt do something different so they, there's got to be a reason for that that Auburn seems to have this propensity to foul a lot and and get teams to the line, but that that was your that was the deciding factor in that game. Yeah, that that, that was absolutely because I, I mean, points in the paint. Auburn dominated points in the paint, so you, you can't say that they beat them uh, there. The the three point shooting, uh, they were seven of seven of eighteen. Auburn was six of nineteen, so pretty even on three. So there's nothing lopsided there. The only lopsided thing on this whole. Uh, box score is free throws. Yeah, I, I you, you said Tom that you don't think the officials are out to get Auburn. I don't think the officials are out to get Auburn either. I just think the officials are bad. Uh, I, I think they're bad all over the sport. And right now, I think it has gone on a run of screwing Auburn. And, and here's the the statistic I wanted to read out earlier: in its last four games, opponents have outshot on the free throw line. Or excuse, Auburn has been outshot by its four combined opponents. 37 combined free throws. Yeah. Opponents have shot 37 more free throws than Auburn in the last four games. Since the start of SEC play, that number goes to 77. So, it, it, look, Auburn's a physical team. They they are going to foul, but they don't foul 77 more more free throws worth. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not seeing a team out there. Like, let's look at Tennessee. Tennessee holds opponents to an average of under 50 points a game. Or, or just about that. They, you're going to tell me that they're holding opponents under 50 points by playing good defense? No, no, they're fouling. They're fouling and they're getting away with it because they have the reputation of being a physical team. The thing is, Auburn and Tennessee play at similar levels of physicality, but Tennessee has that reputation, so they're able to get away with it. Go back and watch the Tennessee game. The the I've always said I'm not going to blame a loss on officiating, but I am going to say, in its last four games, if those games are more consistently officiated, Auburn's probably undefeated during that stretch. And against Texas, I, I've, you know, I just said I'm never going to place a loss on officials. That Texas A&M game, Auburn won that game, and it was handed to him by the officials, bar, bar none. Every that's, every stat of that game was in yeah. favor of Auburn, except yeah. for free throws. Yeah, that that's that's the one time I've ever seen a game won or lost because of officiating. That is that is, it is not a winnable game. When you play as well as Auburn did in that game, and and uh, Texas A and M still got all the whistles they did, and it's again, it's not because Auburn's fouling. Auburn's physical; they foul more than the average team, but they do not foul that much. And we've talked about it a million times. Officiating college basketball, officiating in every sport, is pretty bad right now, uh, at most levels. It, college basketball might be the worst. So I, I think here when you're talking about. Uh, taking each game for for one specific sample, this Vandy game is difficult because oftentimes some of the uh, box score scouting, some of the ways that you would 
trying to assess you know how how many free throws should a team be shooting and look not every single game should be a exactly even amount of free throws but when you look at a big guy for Vanderbilt and Robbins who we talked about would be their best player we talked about that would be the key matchup of the game Broom knew it Cardwell knew it they talked about it openly last week uh, when you have that big guy go and, and shoot 20 free throws and yet Janai Broom and Jalen Williams who primarily play inside uh, Janai Broom shot 15 field goal attempts 12 of them from two uh, J- Jalen Williams shot 12 field goal attempts nine from two and they combined for four free throws yeah. you know I, I have a hard time believing that that is what actually deserved to happen in that game either either Robin should have shot 10 not 20 or those guys should have shot 14 not four you know I mean it, it's not uh, it, it does not seem like it was called there evenly and this is this is something that does not utterly shock me because the home team in athletics is famously gets a favorable whistle a lot of the time it's not all the time there are certainly maybe 10 percent of the time where it goes the other way accidentally uh because refs actually try and 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 be alert to that and and go the other way but i don't know 60 70 percent of the time i would say that it probably does favor the home team if you were to pick a side there and it's just to the degree that it is favoring the home team when Auburn's been going on the road here lately. Because I'll tell you, like even the Tennessee game, despite that being a terrible call at the end with Wendell Green Jr., Auburn actually outshot Tennessee in free throws by two in that game. It was a very even free throw game. <clears throat> and there have been games where Auburn has shot two to four more. They've never had, though, the deficit of 15 to 25 more, like the A&M game in College Station or the Vanderbilt game on Saturday. They've had some games where they've shot as many or a few more, but nothing like the 17 more uh, that happened in Nashville. And look, ju- even though Auburn went 5 of 10, and, and that is regrettable, uh, and y- if you go 8 of 10, you can argue maybe that's a win. Uh, the reality is Vandy scored 15 more points from the foul line than Auburn did. So Auburn outscores Vandy from the field by 13 points. Right. But the foul line, there you go, 15 in favor of Vanderbilt and two-point win. Right, and, that, and, that's, and that's two losses that Auburn has won every other statistical figure except for the free throw line. So that's the A&M game. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you go back. I, I just had to pull up the box score from uh, from Auburn's last home game. Auburn shot 20 free throws in their, in their game against Missouri. Uh, they only shot 10 on, on the road there. But that game, Missouri also shot 18. Right. So it was 20 to 18 differential on that, which that, that to me would be called – Sounds like a pretty dead even call. Yeah. Why does Auburn not get that on the road? Now you can't tell me that Auburn goes on the road and just suddenly suddenly starts just tackling people and trying to rip people's arms off when they go up for a shot. I, I don't buy that. Um, yeah, because the, all the home but, games again. If it was so egregious, because that's I went through and just clicked through about nine or ten of these conference games to find about half right. home games. The home games Auburn usually shoots even, maybe a couple more maybe a couple less but about even on the road it's not even it's been you know 15 20 less and look you could make an argument and say well if it's only even at home and the refs are trying to give the home team some calls well then it stands to reason that 
that when they go on the road, they'll shoot less free throws than the other team. Sure, but not by the vast yeah. amounts. And in this case, where one player takes double the amount of free throws that the other team does, that 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 kind of disparity. Again, we can't live in a world where things are going to be dead perfect. Some teams do foul a little bit more. Some some teams are going to miss a couple, or some refereeing crews are going to miss a couple calls in one team's favor, and the free throws can shake out twenty five to nineteen, or or twenty to fifteen, or thirty two to twenty four, something like that. But not to the degree where it's 17 and I and I, 17 different and I hate to you know we're, we're harping on this point but this is now two road games where Auburn outplayed the other team on the floor and felt like I mean it was a one-sided whistle and it's kind of hard to live with those types of games because they do we talk about the criticisms of the team as a whole and how this team is now tasked with they need to find another good win to make sure that they're in the NCAA tournament they beat Ole Miss and lose three straight they're going to be on the bubble they might still make it but they're going to be very much on the bubble if they just beat Ole Miss and lose three straight and the reason is it's not all because of these players or not because of all these coaches. Uh, it is a mixture of all these things. I think simply put, we would like to have it only be because of players and coaches, not because of anything right. else. Uh, and unfortunately, this is a couple of losses for Auburn where we're having to talk about this. And again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to have this bias slant towards just Auburn because it happens to a lot of teams. It happens each year, and a lot of times it evens out over the course of a year or course of a couple of years. But right now we are in this this swing of things where Auburn, you're trying to kind of squint to find the last time Auburn got that kind of favorable whistle compared to the unfavorable whistle they've gotten a couple of times down the road. Absolutely. You know, after a game – you should be talking about the players. You should be talking about coaching. You should be talking about a shot that a player hit. The best officials are the ones that you do not think about after the game. And yet it seems, except for the Missouri game, the, the last couple of times Auburn has lost a game, we come on here and we go, man, they got really screwed by the officials. may not be the absolute reason they lost, but they got really hosed down. And that, that shouldn't happen. The game deserves and, – and we hate to keep harping on this point – it gets annoying. We feel like broken records. I Well, I, I can only speak for myself. I feel like a broken record when I come in here and say, yeah, man, the refs were really bad. But it's something that deserves to be talked about. It is sure. a massive factor. And we have to keep talking about it because it matters. Uh, and, and the thing that aggravates me, I think, even more so with this is uh, me jumping on that whole Auburn three-pointer soapbox. Is that's the one thing we've talked about with this Auburn team is you got to limit the amount of threes that you shoot because this team just does not shoot the three very well. Well, they only shot 19, and that's about, I think, what is feasible. Mid to upper teens in the state sure. of basketball is like happen, that, yeah. you know, And, you know, for Auburn being a not good three-point shooting team, that's fine. The unfortunate part is whenever you're getting those lopsided calls, it's the officials then force Auburn into those situations because now you've got guys in foul trouble guys that that you expect to be your bangers on the inside are now in foul trouble um are they committing fouls maybe sure maybe sometimes sometime, maybe not but maybe it's some things that you know some light contact that you could kind of maybe not call because you're not calling that same contact on the other end of the floor that's what gets me that's right. what gets me. I don't care if you call a game tight. I don't care if you call a game loose. Just call, call, it, both, the, call, call it the same. same. Call it the same yeah. on both ends of the floor. But but you know you the officials start taking Auburn out of what they want to do because uh, yeah I mean you get in foul trouble then you're going to have to 
start shooting from outside into the perimeter, and you can't get in the side like that because uh, you know you're you're taking that risk on even offensive fouls at that point. So uh, it's frustrating. Uh, it's very very frustrating uh, to lose a game like that, and and especially two on the road that you had wins. Uh, like I said, to to dominate. Uh, or at least to be ahead in every other really statistical figure that you could think of that would really affect the game and, and to have the free throws being such a thing, it, it, it's, it's mind-numbing is yeah. really what it is. Yeah, they've had three losses now. Uh, I, I think the, the Bama loss was fair. I, 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 thought, the yeah. officials, I yes. thought the officials leaned towards Auburn in the first half and leaned yeah. towards Bama in the second half, and therefore you get – a pretty even deal there, but the end of the Tennessee game, the entirety of the A and M and Vanderbilt game, Vanderbilt game, excuse me, are now three pretty distinct examples, all within the last month of of opportunities that were kind of look. Auburn still had them; they still had opportunities to make plays and, and and try and win those games, but they became very difficult, much more difficult than they should have been uh, due to things that were not in their control. Specifically, the officials in that case. I would like to go back to well, I'd a like to go back to Auburn winning, but but if you if there is a loss, I'd like to go back to just saying Eric Stevenson made mil, seven million threes, and that's why Auburn lost. <laughs> rather, or, yeah, rather, Auburn hit three rather, of thirty from right, three. Rather than rather than yeah, there was uh, three to one one free throw disparity for the, right. for the third or fourth straight time. So uh, definitely very frustrating. We will have other aspects of this game to talk about, some individual play and that sort of thing. And, of course, throughout the week, a lot of bubble talk. If you're already sick and tired of bubble talk, probably going to get that much more tired of in the last couple of weeks as we start to get towards Selection Sunday. We need to take our first time out of the show, birthdays and sports, and a trip to the Auburn Bank phone line coming up in just a few minutes. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Monday. Ryan Brandt. Tom with you here. Just had a nice chat about what everyone wants to talk about to open a new week of sports talk. Referees. <laughs> what could be better than that? Uh, spoiler, a lot of things. But uh, we will break down some of the other aspects of the game, some of the things that Auburn did do well, uh, and some of the things that they're going to need to do well here in the last two weeks of the regular season in just a little bit. We'll also go to the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. But before we do any of that, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, birthdays and sports today. We've got a, a good list of them. Today we'll save the best for last, though. Brian McCann turns 39, former MLB catcher, played for the Atlanta Braves, New York Yankees, and Houston Astros. Seven-time All-Star, 2017 World Series champion with the Astros. Although uh, sadness there that it came with them. And six-time Silver Slugger Award winner in his career, 282 home runs, 1,018 RBIs, hit two. 
62. His best work was with the Braves, though, where he hit 275. Also good buds with Jeff Frey and Core. They, those guys kind of came up together, and that was a lot of fun in the mid-2000s. Brian McCann turns 39 today. Probably the earliest baseball player I remember watching. Okay. Brian McCann. Because uh, I've said before, I didn't get into baseball until I was a little bit older. But I, I do remember Brian McCann. I remember liking him a lot. Someone that uh, the Mets will like a lot this year is Justin Verlander. He is now aged 40, current starting pitcher for the New York Mets. Also play for the Tigers and Astros. Nine-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, 2011 American League MVP, two-time All-MLB first-teamer, three-time Cy Young Award winner, which means he somehow won the Cy Young but wasn't first-team All-MLB. Uh, 2011 Triple Crown, 06 AL Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year last year, four-time American League wins leader, two-time ERA leader, five-time strikeout leader, has pitched three no-hitters in his career, has never pitched in the National League until he will pitch for the Mets this year. And uh, Verlander had a 1.75 ERA last year at the age of 39. He is not aging at all. <laughs> He's going to be in the Hall of Fame if the voters vote. 244 wins, a career 3.24 ERA, and a a pretty remarkable 3,198 strikeouts already for Justin Verlander, who turns 40 today. Pretty good. Very good. Pretty good. Gil Bird turned 62, former NFL cornerback for the San Diego Chargers, selected 22nd overall in the 1983 NFL draft by the Chargers out of San Jose State. 1989 first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, two-time Pro Pro Bowler, member of the Chargers Hall of Fame, member of the Chargers 40th and 50th anniversary teams. Gil Bird turned 62. And Sir Charles, Charles Barkley, turns 60 today. Former NBA forward, selected fifth overall in the 1984 NBA draft by the Philadelphia 76ers out of Auburn. Also played for the Suns and Rockets, 1993 NBA MVP, 11-time All-Star, five-time NBA first-teamer, second time or five-time second-teamer, 1985 All-Rookie first team, was the rebounding leader in 1988, member of the NBA's 50th and 70th anniversary teams. His number 34 is retired by the 76ers, member of the Phoenix Suns Ring of Auburn. While at Auburn, Barkley was the 1984 SEC Player of the Year, 1984 First Team All-SEC, has his number 34 retired by Auburn, member of College and Pro Basketball Hall of Fames. Charles Barkley turns 60 today. Those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you, one location on Gay Street in Auburn and the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs and those are the birthdays in sports again by Max Credit Union. Yes, Charles Barkley. You can catch his commentary on TNT. Uh, he had uh, was on one of the broadcasts with the All Star Game last night. He is always hilarious uh, and uh, has uh, always just been a great ambassador for Auburn. Always put them in the in the spotlight and uh, was a heck of a basketball player in the '80s and '90s, of course. And uh, it's been great to see him on TV throughout the years. So Sir Charles turns 60 today. All right, let's go to our next commercial break. When we come back, retired Ward AM Steve will join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call.
We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to this edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here. Coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Or, of course, we're not live if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. And if you are doing that, we appreciate you tuning in to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show after the fact. All right, let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Much better. Thanks for asking. Uh, how's everybody doing on uh, your end? Oh, doing fine. Uh, got through the weekend, and I, I think I mentioned there's a, some good and some bad from the weekend to talk about. Well, Tom, I probably could have... Uh, really benefited from going to your place wherever where you work at the bar and uh i'm, I'm quickly becoming i think uh probably uh predisposed to uh become an alcoholic if this continues the basketball team uh don't let it do that to you oh man I, it's I tough though I, I wasn't gonna let it get me but you know i know you can't win them all but i keep saying can't 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 we just win one of these close games and i, I mean it was so almost for, for, for foreboding and foretelling uh ryan when you said uh, last Thursday, that Auburn has got to win one of these close games. You said that, didn't you? Yes. So they, if they want to have any postseason success, they've got to figure out how to win one in the clutch. And, um, and at one point, we were, I think, less than maybe three minutes in the game, we had a six point lead that we couldn't build on it. Now, uh, before we go any further, I just want uh, to shout out if Sir Charles ever listens to this broadcast station, uh, Wardam, happy birthday, Charles. 60 years young. Wow. Yes, sir. So I was glad to hear that uh, today is his birthday. So I'm going to make an invitation to any of the callers and listeners who have ever been uh, an official, because I know Keith has. I know Keith has said that he's uh, been an official in, in games, had he, basketball? Yes, he did high form. school officiating, yes. Okay, so Keith, my friend, I invite you to come and please give us your take, rebuttal, defense, on the officiating if you watch the game. Uh, between our team and Vanderbilt. Now, for my count, guys, and I've never been a fish in my life, uh, however, I would have fouled out uh, close to the end of the game, if not earlier, uh, Mr. Robbins. He would have been fouled out by, by my count. Uh, I want your take on those two supposedly jump balls, or they were a tie, uh, I believe, and I believe Mr. Robbins was involved in both of those. Yes, he kind of reached around uh, through some contact and and yeah. on Janae Broom, and they called not a jump ball but a foul on Janae Broom for trying to wrestle the ball back from him. Uh, I thought those were called jump balls in both cases. Uh, if I think Auburn wanted them to be no, called, Janae, but, but no, Janae Broom was called a foul on that last one. That he remember he got the rebound. He stood. I don't know why he stood there so darn so darn long uh, instead of just running with it and. From behind comes you-know-who, Robbins, who hooks him in the arm and 
I mean, he assaults him and takes it from him, and wow, no foul. Right. Oh, yeah. No, they were not called fouls um, on, on Robbins. I was just referring to, I thought that they were jump balls. But, uh, yeah, no, th- that was certainly one of the uh, things. I mean, Auburn was irritated about many types of calls, but that, that type of call happened multiple times. And it's kind of rare uh, that you see that prop, uh, cop up multiple times there. And, uh, and it did, and it did not go Auburn's way either time. And I can't, I can't find any plausible explanation as to how, you know, uh, Robbins kept getting away with, I mean, just not just under the basket. You know, if, uh, if we were going for a ball, we get called for the foul. And we were getting mauled, uh, assaulted, uh, and they weren't going that way. But Robbins got a free pass almost every time, guys. Or did he not? Yeah, no, I mean, he only got called for two fouls and, uh, would have to go back. Certainly, those particular plays were were very frustrating. But uh, still, I think just the the overall deal there is that Auburn had productive big guys that played down low, just like Robbins, and yet Robbins more so about the shooting twenty free throws than maybe fouls he did or did not commit. And seventeen of his points came at the free throw line. Right, he only had three three made field goals, I believe. How do you explain that? I mean, I'd like uh, some accountability of these officials and ask him, defend and justify how one damn person uh, gets 17 of his 24 points at the free throw line. Yeah, no, I mean, look, a a lot of things to be upset about there and and with the game as a whole. And and, and one guy shooting 20 free throws in in college is, is, I mean, it's very rare, and especially someone that (laughs) – Again, no disrespect, but someone that, that plays at a Vanderbilt that's not as well-known. Like, I could see them giving Cheeboy that many calls from Kentucky once upon a time or, or something like that, or, or Zach Eady of uh, Purdue. But, you know, Robbins is a good player, not saying he's not, but does not have the notoriety that some of these elite big guys get. And so to have him be the one to go shoot 20 free throws, uh, it, j- it just doesn't add up. Now, I do, because I listen to the radio and uh, there's a time lag difference, and I'm watching on TV at the same time, uh, you wouldn't want to be around me. But with 10 point, what was it 10.8 seconds? Was that what it was? Yes. When uh, they got the ball. And thank God for KD. I mean, he didn't do that great uh, that night, but that was the one that we needed. Ties the ball game. So I want to know, guys, what, because I, I even listened to uh, Coach Pearl's uh, three and a half minute video uh, post game conference. And they asked him about the defense. He said, no, they, the plan was not to foul him, uh, but to defend it. And I want to know, what was it that our defenders, I mean, why didn't they go full court press and, and make them, you know, make them not have such, because they went down there uncontested, didn't they? Yeah, they, they went up uh, uncontested until they got past half court. Why? Why was that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that that is one of the regrettable things about that play. Uh I think that the if they break the press or if if they if they get around their man, seal, let's say he is able to seal off Zep there and and, and kind of creates a five on four, then you kind of naturally speed up that play uh, and you kind of create potential more actions where you have to cover a late action. They pump fake, then they reverse. And you just kind of speed up their options on that play, which in a short time situation maybe is not the best thing since that they kind of have to go quickly anyway. You don't want to have to play panic defense there. Um, but 
I, I mean, look, obviously what they did didn't work. So that's why it's fair to question uh, what they did. But I think ultimately they just didn't execute the defense well. They got beat off the dribble. Uh, Jalen was not able to help there. Uh, and then he, he, he just went right, right past my guys. Right. Well, and so that could have happened. And that's what I'm saying. That could have also happened in the full court, too. And if you do that, then you have the five on four. Uh, and then you create some sort of pretty good shot in, in that situation too. So ultimately, the defense still has to be executed. I think that's the moral of the story. You can do whatever you you can call the right thing, and then the right thing be misexecuted, and then it becomes not the right right thing at that point. All right, so let me run this by you because my son said, "No, no, no, uh, decent coach would ever do this, Dad." I said, "Well, I would have done it." And here's what I said, "Okay, they saw him coming at him. They weren't going to be able to stop him." Why not just go ahead and foul him? Yeah, you, Before the clock runs down to point eight seconds, just foul him. He goes to the free throw line. The clock is stopped, right? We get the ball. Maybe we have more than maybe, what, two seconds left of the game maybe to make a shot? In the college game, I would not entertain that. In the pro game, you would not in, do it, in okay. the pro game it would be more – I still wouldn't say I would do it, but you can advance the ball in the pro game by calling a timeout. So it might be a little bit more worth it in that case. But yeah, still, with these free throw shooters, it only takes one to beat you. And I just can't fathom because if you committed a, a purposeful foul there and they make one, you just look so damn bad if you lose the game that way. Uh, I just I I would never do that in college and pro you might be able to find the right situation to do that but uh, and in fact I think you saw quite the opposite where I think Dylan Cardwell became a less effective rim defender in that moment because he was worried about committing a foul because they had called a lot of fouls down there all night and he was not able to give he did not really give a true shot block attempt he just kind of went straight up and just tried to make sure he didn't foul instead of being aggressive and going for the shot block so they, they really did quite the opposite and again hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. if you tell me they're going to make that contested shot well then oh yeah well let's try something else try any other way but but really in the moment you you just cannot foul in a tie game like that well tell the call the rest of me uh dylan carvel's by there was jenny broom not under by the basket either no broom was out he was not in on that play it was cardwell See, I, was, I thought maybe they would put him there and just you know beg him to uh, just be there uh, and get a charging foul so broom had four fouls which i thought would be the reasoning why they would do that uh, but I think I read something from Bruce Pearl. I didn't read the full quote, and I should have, that it was not foul-related. I, I don't – when I think about this, I think how they execute the defense made this the wrong play. If you were looking for someone to get high up there, look, Janai Broom is the one that is the – quote-unquote better shot blocker because of just the minutes he plays but Cardwell's also got a little bit more athleticism and lift to him so I think the thought process could have been that Cardwell's going to give a, a better contest in that particular moment because he's going to get more lift whereas Broom who's been injured his while his raw shot blocking numbers are still high that's still mostly from the first 15 or 20 games he's not been blocking as many shots recently I could have seen that in that moment they might have thought Cardwell would have a better chance of blocking it but again he didn't play the defense in that manner he he was not aggressively trying to block the shot he went straight up and down just trying not to foul 
foul and give some sort of contest. So uh, that that part of it was, I think, what most people have questioned about that play. Well, moving on then, uh, I'd say we are uh, probably, although I was surprised, I don't know if you guys saw it by Jason Caldwell, I think, uh, that Joe Lenardi has us right now as a number nine seed. Did you see that, guys? Yeah, I saw yes, that. Yes, nine on both ESPN and CBS right now. Most, I'm, most I'm of. Pleasantly surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised. Most brackets, most bracketologists have Auburn at either an eight or a nine right now. Yeah, I, I think with that, it is because look, this bubble, and look, you can say to a degree, bubble teams are always very flawed. I mean, I mean, once you start to get towards the end of this thing, there's not a lot of teams that are just clearly deserving to make the tournament. But for example, the first team out right now, according to Lenardi, is North Carolina. They are zero and nine in quad one games. Like Carolina, and look, I, everyone knows that I root for them. That's no secret. But the only reason that they're the first team out of the tournament is because they are the name North Carolina. If they were Clemson or they were Pittsburgh with that resume, they'd be next four out or they'd be even further down the bubble. The reality is that the teams around the bubble don't have a lot of good wins. They don't have many quad one wins. And so Auburn's resume is just going to be better than someone like North North Carolina, who has just not won anything of importance this year. And so that's why I think that Auburn's still going to be okay. Now, you beat Ole Miss and you lose three in a row to end yeah, the year. That? What happened? That, that part of it is going to be nerve-wracking. I think, I think Auburn will still get in, but that's when you start to talk about how many bid stealers were there? Did did like I, I used last week? Did Florida Atlantic lose the Conference USA tournament? Because Florida Atlantic is probably getting into the NCAA tournament no matter what as an at-large bid. But if they mess up and they lose to North Texas or to UAB in the conference tournament, a team that would not otherwise get in, well, then all of a sudden that's a bid steal because two teams are going to go to the tournament from Conference USA, not one. Same type of thing like in the Mountain West, where if someone like I don't know, UNLV or something won the conference tournament instead of Boise or I think San Diego State or whoever, then that would be another another bubble burst because that would be another team automatically in that would not have gotten in otherwise. Right. Yeah. I, okay. So we'd better hope that the teams that are favored to win their conferences uh, go ahead and win their conferences and don't have an upset. Yeah. In general, that that is if you're a bubble team, you you want all the all the favorites, all the teams that would get in no matter what. You want those teams to win in those smaller and mid-major conferences. Yeah, I'm still not convinced, guys. You can tell me, you know, uh, I guess I'm still too much of a, uh, a bleeding heart, uh, orange and blue guy, but uh, I have to, I really, really do believe we have a realistic chance of beating Kentucky. They just got, they just lost over the weekend. Yeah. Well, I, Auburn has a legit chance to beat everybody else on their schedule. I think really except Alabama. I mean, Alabama is just a different level right now. Uh if uh, in we just we talked about it in some of these losses, especially some of these losses lately, Auburn has won the statistical figures every other sort of, sort of way except for at the foul line. There's been this huge discrepancy at the foul line. If Auburn can play at a high level of basketball and at least get some assistance from the officials where there's not this great big huge free throw disparity, I think Auburn has a very good chance of beating Kentucky and beating Tennessee, but. They're going to have to get calls to go the same way. You can't, you can't literally have a guy shoot one guy shoot as many free throws as Auburn's entire team. So what can Auburn do about any of that? What's in their control? Nothing. 
No, I, honestly, there's not. You 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 can't you you can't get away from what you want to do as a team because you're afraid that the officials are going to call fouls on you and not the other team. You Is have to keep... wait to, to to play aggressive though. It won't get you call fouls because we we keep getting them. Well, what you have to do, you have to keep playing your style of ball. But what what Bruce Pearl and that group and that staff have to do is they have to look at the ones that are avoidable, the one, the ones that are careless, the ones that are reckless. If it's a foul that's called and it's just a hard play and it's ticky-tack and, you know, there's not much you can do with that. But there are fouls that are called that are very reckless and very careless. Uh, stupid fouls. That, that, you know, you hear Sonny Smith say that on the broadcast all the time. Right. Stupid but fouls. Right. Tom, is, uh, in Bandy games, you know, we're like two or three of our guys running underneath the basket trying to get the rebound and we get called for the foul. Uh, well and, and on that one I don't know when I say a stupid foul, I'm talking about when you're when you're manning up, you go man to man on a guy and, and you're on the guy with the ball and he goes one way and you're you're beat and you just stick your arm out and swipe right, at him. Right, yeah. That's a stupid foul. That's a stupid fighting, that is a stupid on the ball, a, yeah. If you're fighting for the ball, how, I mean how do they determine that it's our guy that caused the foul? I, Steve, I don't. That, that's one of those that is a battle foul. Those those can go either way. I'm seeing the stupid fouls, the ones that are avoidable, the ones that you look at and you're like, "Yep, that was a foul. That was just dumb." Those happen throughout the game, and if you can if you can limit those, then you're gonna at least give yourself a chance. Uh, that when you have the battle fouls, the ones that are just kind of a fifty fifty, and the ref's gonna blow the whistle and, and call it one way, not the other. It, you can't avoid that. But you can avoid the stupid ones, the ones that are very obvious, dumb fouls that are lazy, complacent defense, uh, things like that. Those, you've got to limit those, and, and that will make things look a lot better. You know, Even if you're not getting the 50-50 calls, at least you can take away the very obvious ones that were just lazy and, and dumb. Great. Okay, guys, consensus. What is the consensus of you guys – and your confidence level that we go two and two in the remaining games. Not, I not very much. I, I think, I, I think Auburn beats Ole Miss. Uh, I think they do have a good shot of beating Tennessee here at home. Uh, but those two games on the road, I, I don't expect Auburn to beat Alabama at all. And then the Kentucky game, ah, man, that's just that's, that's tough. tough. That's tough. Okay, we, I'm going. If we go, what's your confidence level that we go two and two? Maybe Tennessee beat Ole Miss. Also, I, by the way, got one minute left in the hour. I think okay. Auburn wins either Tennessee or Kentucky. I think winning both is tough, but I think you have a pretty good chance to win one of those games. And I think Auburn is favored by like 15 against Ole Miss, or they will be favored about that much. They'll be favored by double digits against Ole Miss. If you lose to Ole Miss, that's when you've really got problems. Like like Ryan said, I think you can go one and three in these last four games and you're still in the NCAA tournament. I think you're there because the good news is the the NCAA tournament selection committee does not look at when you lost these games. They don't look at your recent run of form. They look at your win-loss record as a whole. So Auburn Auburn right now is probably going to end the season with either 19 or 20 wins and that should be enough to get into the NCAA tournament. Okay, and the softball team did great. Baseball team not so good yesterday, but uh, they at least uh, they won the series. And the swimming and diving teams, both women and women, uh, did pretty good. I saw the men's swim team came in second uh, to Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Trying to so get that program back right, into guys. national standing. Yeah. Thank you very much for the therapy uh, segment that you allowed me. Uh, it's always appreciated. My time is up. I know. And I do want to hear from Keith or anybody else who's beneficial. 
to rebut the officiating that I found just uh, just deplorable. Uh, until tomorrow, guys, have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, War Eagle, no matter what anybody else says. War Eagle, Steve, we appreciate that phone call as always. That is retired War Eagle Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Out of time for hour number one. When we come back, Kevin Ives will talk to us about Auburn's opening win against Indiana as they took two out of three in that first series of the year. We'll talk about that and more coming up next. After this timeout, you're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Start of hour number two here on this Monday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here. Fun first hour, or kind of fun first hour, a lot of talk about referees is, is not at the top of the fun list for everyone, but we were breaking down that Auburn and Vanderbilt game a little bit more to talk about throughout today's program. But for now, let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line, and we're pleased to welcome on Kevin Ives at AUPPL on Twitter. The college baseball season officially underway. Kevin, your first weekend uh, there with the parking deck and, and uh, Auburn baseball getting going. Just how good was it to be back at Plainsman Park? It was great to be back. I mean, outside of Friday being extremely cold and frigid, um, it was fantastic to be back. I mean, it it felt like we never left, in all honesty. Um, and, you know, Auburn was able to take a big series from Indiana, uh, took the first two games, stopped the third one in a little bit of a disappointing fashion, but um, still got the series win and now get ready to hit the road to go up to Huntsville or technically Madison, Alabama tomorrow and um, and then out to USC for a big series um, in Los Angeles. We will talk about the particulars of, of the Indiana series in the week to come for Auburn. But first, Kevin, just as a kind of a fun question, uh, or maybe not fun depending on these uh, t- the type of weather that you prefer, do you prefer the start of the season kind of 40s bordering on kind of really damn cold out there, or do you prefer the upper 80s pushing 90 and sweat starting to, to hit you? Which, which one of those extremes is more tolerable? I would – much rather be cold than hot i am a uh, not small gentleman i'm a large guy and so when it gets uh when it gets hot it is swamp ass <laughs> season in full effect and so um, i'm having to get like bring a change of clothes and everything like especially during like football season and like that type of hot now i have to i would much rather it be cold where i could you know add more layers if need be because um i would like to keep going up to the deck and i can't really keep removing layers if it gets hot 
Fair enough. And uh, unfortunately, I asked, too, just because we're going to see some low 80s this week. So I know Auburn not playing at Plainsman Park this week, but uh, it's going to start to feel like April or May here in just a couple of days. But, but Kevin, let's let's talk about this Indiana series. And one of the first things I want to hit on is, is just the, the pitching performance of Joseph Gonzalez on Saturday. I feel like this is going to be a running theme for me all season long. I, I mentioned the concern just about the, the, the somewhat of an injury coming into camp this year, but immediately five wonderful innings what did you see out of him and 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 just some of the pitchers in in general this weekend he was really really efficient I think that was the best thing to to notice and to see is you know I would thought I thought he would be on either a pitch count or an inning count and I didn't think he would go past like the third inning um, and try more rest but when you when you've gone through five innings and you've only pitched 41 pitches um, then I think you've had a pretty efficient outing and he was able to hit any spot that he could, uh, which was good to see. Did not seem like he strained a lot. Um, and he kind of had everything working, which is really good to see That was because it was cold. Um, it wasn't cold, as cold as it was Friday night, but it was still kind of chilly. And he was still able to command the zone and just be in control um, and really had everything kind of working. And so that's really, really good to see. Um, and it's really good to see as the season progresses on. I would think overall the pitching was a, was a pretty good story for Auburn. Um, had a lot of guys that that kind of step up, kind of establish some roles. There are definitely some things that have to be you know have to work on. I think we gave up seven walks in that Sunday game, um, and so that's going to be a point of emphasis that's coming on. But you know the main thing I think that you would have to notice is you'd had some guys like um, like Armstrong who really settled in. I think he had like 3.1 innings and only gave up a walk, had a bunch of strikeouts. Really kind of held down that position and, uh, and held serve on Friday. Um, you had some guys like Tommy Vale who, who was a, a transfer and he really stepped up and showed up. And even the guys that struggled. Um, even the guys that, that you kind of saw their first time in the mound, um, like Ryan Olsen or, or Drew Nelson, you know, these freshmen um, or younger guys that are coming in. You know, it's going to be a learning experience, and it's going to be something that you're you're going to want to see as the season progresses. It's not something where you even hit panic mode. It's just something where I think for that Sunday game, it, it reached a point to where um, you, if the offense was going to get you back in it, then so be it. But you wanted to, to get some guys some experience and to see in the face a really talented lineup in Indiana, and you kind of saw that. And so... It'll be interesting to see on Tuesday what the plan is. Um, you know, if it's sort of a guy goes an inning here, goes an inning there, and they just try to throw out more arms. Um, but overall, I was pleased with pitching, and I'm not going to be uh, disappointed with it. I mean, yeah, you give up, you know, 11 runs on Sunday, but you know, four of those come from a from a grand slam, and you just really kind of uh, have to kind of cut your losses at that point. Kevin, talk a little bit about the play of Ike Irish, an incoming freshman we've heard a lot about, uh, but seems to have delivered pretty well uh, in his first series on the Plains. He really did. I mean, it was, and it was not necessarily the power, it's just the consistency. I mean, he batted, you know, true freshman, he batted 500, he's SEC co-freshman of the week, um, and he really, held, he really just held his own in that, in a really key spot in the lineup in that third hole position. Um, and, his ability to just produce and get hit, not strike out. I think he maybe struck out once, uh, maybe once or twice the entire series. Um, he just looked in control, um, and it looked like he was not kind of phased by anything that was going to be thrown at him. Now, 
we'll see, you know, how we adjust and how guys kind of, um, as more and more opposing coaches sort of get a book on him, how they're going to pitch him. Um, it's kind of interesting to see a lot of times with guys um, that are really hot to start the season um, in college baseball. You know, they kind of have this peak where they're going to be really, really hot, and then everybody's going to eventually get a book on them and figure out what to do with them. And it's how they recover after that, um, because there'll be a slump at some point. Um, and it's how long that slump is and how they recover um, really shows you the true testament of what kind of hitter they are. We've yet to see him in the field a little bit um, because Baylor Rue played most um, in the catching position this weekend. Um, so, you know, there may be a chance on Tuesday for Ike to, um, to catch a little bit. Um, and to see her, he may just spell out completely um, and sort of get a day off. But, yeah, I mean, it was he was definitely one of the offensive highlights um, for Auburn. And it was really good to see. It's really something that kind of made you smile because you know there's a guy that's going to be here for three years. Um, and it's just going to keep getting better and better. Uh, Ike Irish, uh, you know, a, a newcomer that had a, had a great weekend, uh, but a veteran that had a great weekend at the plate was uh, Bryson Ware uh, for the series 7 of uh, seven of 12 uh, with a couple of doubles uh, and a couple of RBIs. How, how big is it for a guy like Bryson Ware, one of the team leaders, uh, team veterans, to, to have a big start? Uh, that's huge. And I think where he, you know, he really batted in the lower parts of the lineup and so one of the things that I'm going to watch for is to see if he gets moved up um, and he becomes that table setter. I mean, part of you wants him to, to move up to maybe that second hole or in the leadoff um, and sort of set the table for Ike if he's going to keep getting on base consistently. Uh, consistently. But then the other part of you is like, well, if you do that, then the back end of your, your lineup is going to have some gaps in it and you may not be able to recover for that. So it'll be kind of fun to see how that plays out. But, yeah, um, you know, Ike, Batted 500 and and, and Bryce batted like 575. So those five, two guys 583. Really 583 really carried a lot of the offense. I mean, that were they were the guys that were able to you know get those. Auburn didn't really have a huge inning um, offensively. You know, we were getting two runs here, three runs there, um, or one run every now and then. And so just having that consistency enabled Auburn to kind of do that a little bit. Now, there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to need to pick up some of the slack because it can't really be just on two guys. Um, and so Auburn's really going to need to really find a little bit more power, I think, in their lineup and, and find some guys that need to kind of um, be able to juice the ball just a little bit. They had, I mean, Justin Kirby had two home runs, but he may be that guy. Um, but you're going to need to find a couple more power spots I think to balance the lineup out um, as the season progresses. Yeah, uh, and now kind of switching back over to Ike Irish a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he's normally a catcher. But he's been playing in the DH role. Uh, Nate Larue is going to be your catcher, but Nate Larue goes zero for ten for the series. Uh, does that start? Is it too early to start wondering about Nate Larue at the plate, or do you think Ike Irish could eventually become the catcher if Nate doesn't figure it out? Or, or is that just 0 for 10 kind of deal with Nate, just a, an anomaly for this first series? I think it's just an anomaly because I think that you have to understand for Nate that he's adjusting to so much coming into this role. I mean, he's, he's a team leader, same one of the team captains. But he's also using – I mean, he um, had – I don't know if he had eye surgery, but he um, – um, basically he's had his eyes adjusted. He's, he's got a new stance and everything. Um, I, don't, I think it's just an anomaly. Seeing what he did in the fall – um, and how consistent he, he was in the fall, that's going to carry over. It's going to take real in-game at-bats for him to adjust a little bit more. 
Um, and one of the things that you can't really overlook with Nate as a catcher is that how he calls games. Um, and a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of the credit is going to go to Justin Gonzalez. Probably a bulk of the credit will go to Justin Gonzalez for his pitching performance. But you also have to give Nate credit, Nate credit for the pitches that he's trying to call um, and how he is catching him. And so defensively and what he, how he is like a captain in the field, that can't be overlooked. Um, and so I don't really see a situation where he's going to get overtaken in that role. I think that there is enough trust and there's enough faith, at least in myself, and I would think the coaches too, into what Nate can do and what he will do. And it's just going to take some more reps and a little bit more consistency for him to break through, and he will break through. Talking to Kevin Ives here on this Monday edition of Sports Call. As we start to look at the week ahead for Auburn baseball, everyone's going to wonder about that big trip to L.A. to play USC. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, Kevin, I had a question just about midweek and uh, obviously an opportunity for Auburn to play uh, in a place where they still have a lot of fans at Toyota Field up in Huntsville, uh, the home of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Auburn does this sort of thing a couple times throughout the year. But just when you have midweek strategy, I, I know that once you get the SEC play, the midweek games are not something that you necessarily use a lot of your best weapons in and, and yes you'll you'll have a lot of your starters in, in the uh, outfield or in the position order but but still pitching wise when you're trying to figure out this early in a year uh, what you might do towards the end of games middle of games that sort of thing what kind of strategy do you expect to see these first couple midweek games uh, as, as far as what kind of pitchers Auburn will try and if they try some of their better arms or if they're still kind of way down the, the rotation there? I think this, these first couple of midweek games, they're going to try everything. Um, and they're going to see, you're really trying to use these midweek games. If The sign of a good pitching staff throughout college baseball is if you have a consistent guy who can be your midweek starter, and then you know he, gets, he logs all of these innings in the midweek, and eventually when you start hitting the postseason, becomes that fourth guy up when you have elimination games and regionals or when you're in the... Um, SEC tournament or anything else like that, that's kind of that audition for that. You're trying to find that fourth and fifth guy, that next guy up. And those midweeks are where that kind of sets up and gets established. Now, coaches have a different opportunity or have a different mindset depending on, um, you know, how they kind of want to pitch those midweeks. I know that we've had, um, you know, guys like Casey Dunn, um, when he's coaching Stanford and UAB, who basically will just pitch a different guy each inning um, just to get them the reps throw these guys, throw the off the opposing offense um, off balance a little bit um, so they don't get you know second and third looks at guys and to get that experience for, for a little bit. I don't know what Auburn is going to do in this situation. I know that there are still a lot of guys that they want to see with in-game experience, and you're probably going to see that a little bit. Um, and you want to see how these guys do. And it really doesn't matter the competition. Auburn's going to play some really strong midweek competition. Um, and at the end of the day, you still have to win these games. Um, these, those midweek games usually end up being the difference between sometimes going to regional or sometimes even hosting a regional um, because they can be big RPI hits. And in some cases for Auburn, it can be big RPI boosts. You know, when you get later games like Georgia Tech or Jacksonville State or UAB, you know, they can really kind of help you out um, and kind of add a little bit more to your resume. Um, but it's really going to be a situation, I think, for this first one. Um, you know, up in up at the trash pandas that you may see a couple different guys. Um, but it also may be a situation to where you ha- if one guy is hot, they're just going to keep them and see how long they can go. Um, so it's 
that's the beauty of baseball. You're going to go in with a plan, and then depending on how the game plays out, it may all, all go out the window. Um, and you probably don't want to lift a guy if he's hot and he's being consistent because those are arms now you can save for the weekend in, in this situation. And, you know, sometimes you want to get guys experience just to get them that experience, but you've got to balance it between wanting, you know, winning the game um, and making that the priority. And so, Kevin, then we look forward to this series at USC this weekend, Friday and Saturday, Sunday, a few late start times on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Auburn not totally unaccustomed to going this far away from home. Obviously, the Corvallis Super last year near and dear to Auburn baseball fans' hearts, but still a kind of a rare opportunity to go other side of the country. And then this Pac-12 conference, uh, a lot more formidable in general than the Big Ten from what Auburn just saw out of Indiana. So tell us a little bit about USC in the Pac-12? Well, USC's definitely... I'll start with, you know, talking about USC first. USC is kind of in rebuild mode. They've got a new coach, um, Andy Stankowitz, who was at uh, Grand Canyon. So that same team, you might have saw they like, upset Tennessee this past weekend. Um, you know, that's basically a program that he built at Grand Canyon. And he's at USC now, and it's a team that... And it's a school that historically has been great. I mean, they kind of... They have the most College World Series titles. They've had players like Mark McGuire and um, Randy Johnson have, have pitched there, and um, you know historically one of the best programs in the country, and that's what he's trying to reestablish um, at USC. Um, I think that it's going to take a little, him a little bit of time. They're not going to be a bad team by any stretch of the by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it, they may still be going through. They may start going through some growing pains as they're adjusting to his style a little bit. Um, they took care of business against Marist um, this past weekend. Um, they kind of needed a little bit of help in their Friday game um, with a, a random ball call that gave them another plate appearance. But it's going to be a good deal for Auburn. It's going to be a big deal for Auburn to go out there um, and to face really you know, another high-level D1 competition um, and kind of see. And the Pac-12 is a really strong conference. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably one of those conferences that has some big headliners. It has teams like Stanford and Oregon State that are going to be consistently going to the College World Series, let alone going to regionals. Um, but any team up and down is dangerous. I mean, you will kind of look, you know, at what they did this past weekend. Arizona beat Tennessee in the opener. Um, you know, and there historically they've won, um, I think, two, three, or maybe four College World Series. Um, you know, and you've got teams like UCLA that Auburn saw in a um, in their regional last year and know how good they are. And so the brand of baseball and the talent is always going to be there, especially with these California Pac-12 schools, um, you know, because they're playing baseball all, all year round. And it's, it's, um, there's a lot invested in those programs. I'm excited. Um, my wife and our friend Ashley, we're going to fly out on Thursday. We're going to go to the games. And um, I know on Saturday there's going to be a Tiger Walk and probably a big Auburn contingent. Um, out at the game. So there's probably a bunch, a lot of Auburn fans that are going to be going to the games this weekend. Um, and I, I really can't wait. I think it's, it's a chance for Auburn to kind of continue to build momentum, um, you know, knock off a big name brand school um, and keep that resume going. And one of the better things that's going to say is RPI wise, is any win you get on the road at one of these schools um, is basically going to count as a game and a half, um, you know, because you're, you're doing it as the road team and against a pretty strong conference um, that's not going to be a sort of mid-tier RPI conference. And it's all positive. Auburn really just has to 
just win games, just win the series, and if everything else will kind of settle itself out. Wow, Kevin, did not realize you were going out to L.A. That's that's uh, that's pretty darn cool. Uh, have you ever been out there before? I have not. Um, the farthest west I had ever been in my life was uh, last year when I went to watch Auburn baseball in Arlington, and so this will be the farthest west I've ever been. Um, I don't know technically if Seattle's farther west. I, you know, the you know globe kind of curves a little bit. I did go to Seattle um, for a work thing. Um, this past year, so I don't know which technically is farther west, but um, yeah, it'll be my first time to California, um, first time sort of experiencing that, and um, the whole deal with Los Angeles. Thankfully, I'm not driving. I've already said I'm not driving because I drive like a grandpa to begin with. Um, <laughs> so, but we're I'm looking forward to it, and we're gonna probably we're also gonna check out um, Alabama's playing Pepperdine, which is in Malibu. Uh, so we're gonna check out one of those games. Um, and be those Auburn fans. They're being obnoxious Auburn fans um, at a at an Alabama game, but we don't mind because the Pepperdine Stadium is um, right on the water um, and kind of overlooks the overlooks the the bay and the ocean. It's going to be a, a pretty beautiful sight. I'm hoping for good weather and a bunch of Tiger wins. That's awesome, Kevin. Well, as always, we appreciate the time on the show today. Be safe. Have fun going out to California. And we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. That is Kevin Ives. He is at AUPPL on Twitter. Appreciate Kevin for joining us on the show here each and every Monday. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun for him to head out to Los Angeles. Hopefully Auburn can have a very productive series at USC. We need to take our next time out of the show. More Sports Call coming up after this. has been on the air since 1995. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brant Daughtry with you here. Appreciate Kevin Ives at AUPPL. He's Plainsman Parking Lot on Twitter. Goes to all these Auburn baseball games. Sits in the parking deck and has a great time and watches a lot of Auburn baseball. Going out to L.A., I can't get over that. I I, I have in the back of my mind that I'm going to like do this tremendous trip to uh, Berkeley. Yeah. to go see Auburn and Cal this coming up fall. But, like, I know damn well. I've never even been on a plane before. So, I like, it, it, I'm not going to end up doing that. But <laughs> kudos to those Auburn fans uh, like, like Kevin that are not only going out to L.A. Uh, for this USC series in Auburn baseball, but are going to end up going out to Cal and watching Auburn take on the Bears there uh, this fall. Saw, speaking of football, saw this from the XFL this weekend as it – 
kicked off and not really going to break down the games here in the XFL, but, but more so wanted to talk about some of their different rules that they have uh, and, and if these would be good ideas for college football or for the NFL or just some of the football that, that we take in a little bit more of. Because I, I personally think one of these things is going to ultimately happen at least. Uh, but but they're trying some things out in the XFL, and that's one of the appeals. It's kind of a, a, a little taste tester uh, for the rest of the football world right. on, on some of these new potential rules. So I, I want to save the one I think is going gonna, is gonna to end up happening for just a few moments from now. But one of the interesting things is they're doing tiered PATs. So this is not really something that I think would would be for the NFL, just because the NFL has already moved back the point after to, what, the 15-yard line or something, uh, and it's like a 32, 33-yard point after in the NFL. But what the XFL is doing, you can go from the two-yard line for one point, you can go from the five-yard line from two points, and the 10-yard line for three points. Yeah. And so that happened once this weekend, by the way. There was a three-point play uh, from the 10-yard line. Uh, what do you think of that sort of thing? Would you like to see that either in college or uh, anything interesting you about that? No? No, nah, nothing interests me about that. That's, that's just that's changing the game for, for the sake of just changing something. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of intramural flag football. Like if you scored a touchdown, there was a tiered PAT in flag football. You You could either go for – uh, one up really close or two from back. So um, that, that just that sounds like that's just one of those you're changing it just for craps and giggles. I, you know, I kind of like it. Um, I, I don't want to see exactly that. I think the one-point PAT is perfectly fine. I think two points from the two is perfectly fine. But let's get it. I, I kind of like the idea of a three-point conversion. It, it makes It brings the game a little bit closer. You know, it makes it to where a game is not out of reach just because the opponent has an eight-point lead on you or a nine-point lead. You can tie up a nine-point game. To me, that makes the game a little bit more interesting. Now, I let's say you have to do it from the seven or eight. You know, let's you, you get a seven or you get a seven-yard play to score. To, if you score a touchdown from the seven, it's worth three points after another touchdown. I kind of like that idea. So uh, you, would I move, you would move it up from the 10 then? Yeah, I think I'd move it up from the 10. I, I think 10 yards is, uh, I don't know, because right now the two-point conversion is from the two, right, as well right. as the PAT. So I, I think moving it back a full eight yards is a little much, but move it back five yards. Uh, and let's let's see what kind of success we have there. I think it makes the game a little more interesting. Uh, I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not going to get mad if it sure. doesn't happen. But it's something that I think is interesting. Uh, and I think it made the xfl a little bit more fun because what, what was it they were we're going i assume we're going to go into the onside yeah no, we're, yeah we're, we're going to go into that a but couple more yeah. it, that that part of the rule made that game a lot more interesting yeah i i'm i mean like you i'm not gonna shout for it I, i'm not going to stand by that that we have to get this into college football or into the nfl uh, but if they ultimately did do this i'd be fine with it i think my caveat would be i want 10 yard line or further I'd want it to be a very low percentage play, uh, similar to something that we'll still talk about in just a moment, because I don't want it to get too crazy where everyone's just doing it. I kind of want it to only be in a certain like game-saving situation. Um, there is something about still being in single digits where it's like it's not irrational to say that you can still recover in one possession from nine points. Uh, it, it's, it's something 
very different. So some people will say, oh, it's just never been this way. It never should. And well, I mean, I, I again, I'm like you, I'm not going to go screaming and crying for it. But if it were to happen, I want to make sure that it would be uh, a far enough distance where it would be a very low percentage play and it just be a chaotic. Wow. They really choke that one off. Look at them blow a nine point lead there on the on the 15 yard play or the 10 yard play, or whatever. Uh, so the second one I want to talk about, we'll talk about one more after this is the option to try and, and steal another possession, which is currently obviously just an onside kick. It's a very low percentage play. I think it's roughly 6 to 7% conversion across NFL uh, and college football, something like that. So they, XFL gives you a second, second way of trying to get the ball back, and that is a 4th and 15 conversion from own 25-yard line. So essentially, you pick up the conversion, you will get the ball about where you would have gotten if you would successfully onside kick. So what do you think about that one? I like it. Um, so I, I believe that rule is only goes into effect in the fourth quarter. Yes, that, fourth quarter yeah, only. Okay, right. so that, that is where... So it's only available at a certain point, which I don't, a, I don't love that part of it. I think if you... If you are confident enough to go for a fourth and 15 on your own 25 in the second <laughs> quarter, do it. Right. I think you ought to be able to have the option. But uh, I kind of like it because, like you said, the onside kick is a little bit it's, – it's, ch- it's low success, you know. Very low. The, that, but, and, and that gives your offense, you know, it, we're, like it or hate it, like, special teams are being phased out of the sport of football in a large part. So I think if you have a quarterback who's really good and an offense that's really good – they ought to be able to go out there and get a chance to steal a possession. Now, if you don't get it, then congratulations, your opponent now has the ball on the 25. So I think there's a proper risk-reward factor there. Uh, and if you can execute it, then it's a big reward. Like you said, stealing an extra possession. Yeah, I, I don't want this to become schoolyard, make it, take it. But like at the <laughs> same time, if you do ultimately get rid of the kickoff, which we're going to get to in a minute, and I will have a more passionate stance there. I will as well. Uh, if you do eliminate the kickoff at some point, well, how the hell are you supposed to get the ball back? Right. And I'm not down to have a situation where you can't get the ball back. You, you, you're you down 21 points and you're just screwed. Sorry about it. There's not enough time for you. Go take knees and just go home. That, that's that's not that's not ever going to be a, a good part of the game, in my opinion. The fourth quarter, quarter only thing is funny that just that they had to clarify that. Like there would be some psychopath out there that would go for fourth <laughs> and 15 in the yep. second quarter. Although Lane Kiffin is like slowly plotting like what plays he would run under that circumstance. But – I again this is something where you've legislated onside kicks so much to where you can't make a little different rules for NFL and college football but essentially you can't block before the ball goes 10 yards can't make contact and it, again you can hit them too hard to be personal foul like like there's so many w- things that the kicking team has to abide by now that it's become very low percentage play and I'm not saying this play needs to be a 50% play either because then if it's too high then people will go for it around amount and that's probably not good either but i would think between 10 and 20 percent is probably the right percentage to get here and so i would like to go see the concrete numbers on what fourth and 15 what rate that's converted at but i bet you 10 to 20 percent is probably somewhere in that range i think it's probably a higher percentage than than the onside kick but it's certainly not going to be 40 or 50 percent because well third down conversions in general fourth down conversions in general like 35 45 percent play so it's not going to be like 50 percent or anything like that but 10 to 20 percent i think is the right amount for your panic have a small chance of coming back but not a great chance come back tom did you have any any thoughts on it not really 
No, I mean, I, I'm, no, I'm nothing that I could add to it. I, I, I like the idea. I, I think if anything, if I were to change anything, the, the fourth down, or yeah, the fourth down, quote unquote, option or the play option, uh, I think I would move it up. Uh, oh, okay, like fourth and ten instead, or no, 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 no. Oh, no. I uh, move the ball up. I, I would, okay. I would run it from like the thirty or the thirty-five. Okay. Um, uh, j- mainly just because I get the risk reward, but I mean, dang, you're. I mean, you're talking well with kickers these days. You're even at the thirty or thirty-five. You're already pretty much in field goal range. But I mean, twenty-five. You're already in chip shot range, and I think you. I think you need to. If you don't make it, I think you need to make the other team at least work a little bit more so for it. You basically want to incentivize the possibility that would it be done in another situation that would not just be like two minutes left in the game. Sure. And- Okay, gotcha. Right, but but have it up so that if you do fail at it, you're not basically just putting the other team right there in the red zone already. Sure, at least make them work for it. Right. Uh, so that would be I, my only. Again, I'd like to see what percentage it would actually be because if it did end up like a twenty percent play, then again, you you want to make sure it's it's. I, I use the word equitable here, but. You want to you want to make sure that it does not create some sort of competitive imbalance, right? And and basically, if you're having to be desperate enough to use that play, which is a higher percentage play than the onside kick, then it's got to be you have to get the ball back or you lost anyway, because of that 25 yard line. And and, and in fact, I I think I like it. I think I'm talking myself into it because <laughs> when you onside kick. There's a surprise element to it, but it's a lower percentage play. So if I get the ball at the 40 or 45 because I recovered it or you didn't kick it well, whatever, then, okay, that that's still I have to do get a first down or two to, to make to get a field goal. There is a there is a reason at a time other than 28 to 20 with a minute left, I got to get the ball back. There is a time other than that you can use that, but it's also a lower percentage play. Well, because because it's a lower percentage play, I'm going to give it to you at 45-yard line if it doesn't work. Whereas this play is a higher percentage play. There's a better chance you will get this. However, the penalty for not getting it is is strict. It's more strict. You're, you're going to give them the ball in field goal range immediately. So, in other words, this will be your better bet with a minute left. But maybe with five four minutes left in a one-possession game, well, if you don't have any timeouts, maybe I still need to kick it on side, but I definitely don't want to go for that fourth and 15 because, well, I, I would give them a field goal. They would lock up the game, but maybe I'm willing with may, maybe not four minutes left, maybe three minutes left. I'd be willing to on side because I still could get one panic stop there if I don't get it. So I can at least see some strategy there uh, of why it's at that yard line. That brings us to the last rule I want to talk about with the XFL. And Brand alluded to this a moment ago. And that is the new kickoff. And so if you watched the XFL uh, this week, you saw kickoffs. You did. But you saw players on the receiving team start at roughly the 30-yard line. and you Yeah, the 30-yard line. And you saw the kicking team's players start at the 35-yard line. And again, that is not the yard line you're kicking from. That is the receiving team's... 30-yard line and the receiving team's 35-yard line. In other words, five yards of distance between the players to create a little less momentum, a little less hard of a hit, more of a natural blocking play, but still allow a kickoff. And I'm going to be more passionate about this. Well, Brant's going to be passionate about it too. (laughs) 
So I, I will go ahead and defer to you guys because I will have I will I think we will all agree here, but I will again give a more passionate reasoning. So go ahead, Tom. What, what do you got here? Uh, well, actually, I don't, I don't know if we would all agree or not. Uh, oh, so I I like it. Um, I I like it because uh, I I understand football is football. It's a violent sport. There's going to be hits and collisions and things. I, I get that. But it has it has been shown that one of the most dangerous plays in all of football are on kickoffs, and that's why the NFL has tried to do so much that they can basically just getting it to where every kicker worth their salt can put one through the back of the end zone, so that there's you know people are almost wondering why you even kick off in the NFL anymore. Just give them the ball at at a certain you know give them the ball at the twenty. Just start at the twenty. Um, but it takes away the the potential of a kick return, which is one of the most exciting plays in all of football. So you have one of the most dangerous, uh, one of the most dangerous plays in all of football, but also the potential for one of the most exciting. What you do with this is you still you still leave the excitement, but you take the danger away with the full running force. And the contact that is made, uh, where many people have been hurt with it. I mean, when you've got a dudes that size with a full head of steam running and making contact, they've taken that away. But they still leave the excitement factor of potentially having a kickoff return for a touchdown. So I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's a very it's a safety aspect, but it also doesn't neutralize what is a very exciting potential play. I I don't know I. I I, I don't have a defense for it other than I just kind of like how it is right now. Um, they've already taken away the running start um, from this, and I don't know how much that has changed. I, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out how to word this because I don't want to sound like I don't care about player safety because I do. It, it obviously matters, and I want people to be able to play this sport professionally and still live a long and happy and healthy life. But I feel like the more we try to change the game for the sake of player safety we introduce all these new rules it just kind of hinders the game more i i don't know it's it feels like and i guess the the most obvious example of this is is targeting um which i, I will continue to say is the worst rule in sports in the way that it's affect it well, affected. college yeah. college football for yeah. college football for sure yeah. um i don't know i i kind of just i like it the way it is now it seems i think a lot of guys have made their have made their money in professional football in being a gunner, you know, and being that guy next to the kicker who runs full speed and is impossible to block because he's just too darn athletic. He's not real smart, maybe. Does <laughs> Not the best athlete, but he's maybe not the strongest, maybe not the fastest, but he's fast enough and he's strong enough and he's smart enough to do that. And you can't block him, and that's how he makes his money. And if you take away the ability to run full speed downfield and then make that collision, then... You know, I feel like you're taking a lot of guys out. I, I do appreciate the fact, though, that they are saying, hey, we're trying to do something different while not removing the kickoff from the game, uh, which I think a lot of these spring football leagues have made the mistake of doing. Right. Real quickly here, let's get another phone call in to our Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 tiger 9 Next up, Die Hard Die. Die Hard Die joins us. How are you, sir? I'm still waiting for them to announce they're going to take tackling out of football. Um, I, I don't care about their health. That's kind of part of why you become millionaires and uh, make the money they do that most people won't make in their li- lifetime. Um, but two things of data. I know 
when I was younger and used to watch football with my dad or when I first started playing fantasy football in 1998, um, I had running backs go the entire season. Now you have to, you know, third stringers get hurt. So they've done something, and I don't want to hear about the speed and the, and the strength. I mean, um, there's a lot of things that have gone into it. But also, anytime I high-five anymore, and those are going away because it's a touchdown or some crazy pass. It gets rolled, not a pass, because it touched two blades of grass or his toe was down one inch before the, the – um, and, I mean, I get it. you, you got to do it right, but it just takes away a lot of the excitement. And, you know, any big hit that used to give high fives about, it's like, oh, the best player of the team has gone. You know, Smoke Monday is gone for the rest of the game, and now we're going to lose. Um, it's just – it's just killing the excitement. So – just want to remind you guys, Auburn has a great rugby team. They're still men. They still get to be men. They act like men, and they get to hit and tackle, and there's blood, and it's great. <laughs> All right, Die Hard Die, we appreciate that phone call. Uh, that is Die Hard Die joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, certainly that uh, sentiment is out there that there's a lot of hits that are no longer uh, legal in football. Uh, I've... You know, I think everyone and their their brother hates the targeting call. If you want sure. to go down that route, but uh, well, I, I I mean I I definitely hate the tar the way targeting rules are done in college football and 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 there's there's some talks of some college football rules coming up that we're going to get into, uh, but I still have not heard anybody really talk uh, hard about that and how they need to fix the targeting rule and the ejections and things like that. Um, no, but I agree. Football has gotten very soft with some of the way that they the officials call things, especially with uh, roughing the passer. Uh, I mean, there there's some of those that are just completely ridiculous, and, and you have to leave the contact in if you're going to have football. I get that, but the kickoff is one of those that you can do it and and, and have the excitement, but still be a little more safe about it. I mean, I get the safety factor, and I mean when when you just think about what happens on a kickoff and i know that's old just like old school gritty football I, yeah i know but that's one thing that you can look at and go that's that's very dangerous i mean that's why there have been rules changed throughout the start of football that have people have realized things are very dangerous and we've had to take it out like the flying wedge you know they realized yeah. that, that that the flying wedge was literally killing guys on the field we can't do that anymore we need to figure out a way to get rid of the wedge and they got rid of it and but it didn't ruin the game of football they just we, we need to take this aspect out and figure out another way to do it i always think about the, the guys who played football in leather helmets with no face masks sure you know like that yeah i, I can't imagine yeah. trying to play the sport that that we know today without having like a face mask at all yeah like face just fully exposed that's a lot but you know on the kickoffs and one i always go through thinking about remembering is is an auburn play when brandon jacobs was a running back here at auburn playing at vanderbilt and brandon jacobs went down on a kickoff auburn was kicking off and he went down as the gunner and he hit this dude from vanderbilt and i don't know how it didn't kill him i the guy from vanderbilt i mean you're talking about brandon jacobs is a monster of a running back yep and he hit that dude from Vanderbilt and knocked him unconscious, and, and and that has happened a lot of times on these plays. I mean, you, I know the the, you know, just the instinctual you know part of us, that, especially that love football. We love hearing those pads hit, and we yep. love hearing that. It and it's this visceral reaction that we like. 
but you also got to kind of have the humanity part when you see that, and you're like, ooh, there's a that is that might be you're bo- you're getting borderline too much with that yeah, when you have I, that big of a head start. I mean, that is a car crash, and that you but you can do something to take that away when you know you have an aspect that is just that damn dangerous. Then you can change that a little bit, and that's why I like the kickoff rules they have. You keep the excitement of the kickoffs, but you're not giving that full head start of, of momentum and the and the collision like that. And and so I, in that aspect, I'm not. I I actually like the way they do that. You know, I I, I just want to say one thing here. I don't care how much money they're making. I I want these dudes to live past fifty. Absolutely. I, I want to be able to tie their shoes when they're older. You know. Well, that's and, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to avoid, and I think equipment is something that we can look at a lot. And the, the helmets change every single year. There are new models of helmets that that apparently lead to you know better 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 health later in life, and I think that's a big part of it. And again, like we just touched on, Tom, technology for this sport has come a long way, right. and I think it needs to continue to advance. And I think the gear is what we need to look at more so than just the rules, even though I, I see where you're coming from. Well, and the thing is, they've, they've talked about it on the kickoffs. I mean, they have, yeah, they've got the, the newest, latest, greatest helmet from from Vices and, uh, you know, uh, right, Rydell, 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 Rydell has, has this new helmet that is supposed Zenith. to be like the, yeah, they've got all of these. Rydell's the you, best. You could be, you could be. You can be wearing you can be wearing the best motorcycle helmet in the world, and if you get hit by a car, it's still, probably still going to kill you. It's gonna hurt. <laughs> so you can have the great the best greatest helmet and the greatest shoulder pads, and you can you can have a foam suit on, and if a three hundred pound man running at full speed with a huge head of momentum hits you, it's going to do damage, and so. I, I get it. The the equipment is great. The equipment is great for the normal plays. They've made the equipment for for linemen. The helmets have like kind of like a bubbleish looking thing yeah. on the front. Some of them that uh, guard that guard on the forehead. They, yeah, they guard on the forehead because of that type of impact that they make at the line of scrimmage. The other things are great for you know wide receivers or defensive backs when you have those types of collisions and hits, things like that that are not just a full head of momentum. When you have that on the kickoffs like that, there's not a whole lot of equipment that's going to protect you from that type of a violent impact. And and, and that part is really an unnecessary part of the game when you can do what the XFL does and have that. Still have the excitement of potentially a, a kickoff return because if you block it the right way, then you can spring a guy free. But you're, you're taking away what is really just an unnecessary collision uh, in football in a game that has these collisions all throughout. But when there's one that's just completely unnecessary, then you're all right. Well, and look, the close with this, because we do have to take our what's going to be our hour break here. It's going to be a long one. Is that you've got to balance product with player safety. You've got to make sure, because knowing what we know, there's going to be people that are going to always try to nip at the heels at the safety part. But you also have to play the game of football understanding that there are some health risks involved, sure. as there yeah. are in a lot of things that you do in life. And I actually was going to say I'm passionate in this being a good rule because I don't want kickoffs taken out of the game. Right. 
period. You know, like I like they're going to do that if there's not some sort of solution at some point. They're going to try and take them out. Yeah. And so the way to compromise and say, all right, kickoffs have always been a part of this game. Here's how they can continue is something like what the XFL is make doing. It, make it safe. That way, it is a safer play. We can talk about that aspect of it. But also, we cannot eliminate an entire play just because we weren't smart enough to think of how to protect people a little bit better. So, as always, there's a balance with a lot of this stuff. We are out of time for hour number two. We can continue this discussion and a lot more coming up in hour number three. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Tom Peavy. Fun show so far. I don't know why Brant's making faces at me. Have I said something? I don't wrong? know. You, I thought you were making faces at me. Oh no, uh, miscommunication. Then I'm just trying to trying to eat a lifesaver. Our nonverbals not good right now, but uh, <laughs> our verbals hopefully will be good as we talk through hour number three of the show day. Again, appreciate Kevin Ives for joining us at the beginning of hour number two. The talk Auburn baseball winning two out of three against Indiana over the weekend. Again, a lot of Auburn sports. Throughout the weekend, uh, varying degrees of success. Auburn softball went 5-0. and That was great, although they were kind of expected to do well with weaker competition. Auburn baseball does take two out of three from, an Indi- from Indiana. Checks that box. Wins their first series of the year. Auburn women's basketball, very respectable against Tennessee. Tennessee scoring uh, 83, though, to beat them, 83-76. Tennessee's only lost twice in SEC women's college basketball, so Auburn hung around there as they've gotten healthier throughout the, the conference schedule. Uh, but then Auburn men's basketball with another heartbreaker in Nashville and some controversy with officiating again there. And then Auburn gymnastics with a tough meet. Uh, Suni Lee did not compete in the all-around. She was only in the final rotation there trying to give her a break. She ended up falling off the beam, I yeah, believe. She did. Uh, and and uh, Auburn having their lowest score of the year. It was interesting. I was uh, watching or keeping up a little bit of Justin Lee's coverage. He actually said before the meet – that he was anticipating Auburn's lowest score of the year because sure. apparently Missouri's judges are known for scoring teams a little bit lower. And that's something that if you really got into, <laughs> you want to just continue the, the bad officials train, oh, oh, yeah. how they score differently at different venues yeah. would be kind of maddening, honestly. I, I know you get a reputation, so you kind of know what to expect coming into. But if I'm going somewhere and they're just saying they're not favorable scorers here, you're not going to get as high of a score, even if you do the same routine. That would be a little bit uh, irking. I mean, yeah. uh, that would that would be worthy of being a little bit irked about because 
I don't see why you do the same routine in two different places and perform it the same way. It should score differently. That doesn't make sense to me, but I don't follow gymnastics as, as close as I follow right. many other sports. But uh, nevertheless, Auburn gymnastics struggled for the first time this year, really, yeah. and, and had a, a rough meet. I, I think that was uh, one of those glaring ones was uh, the meet that they had at Alabama. And uh, because, I mean, Auburn's gymnastics team right now, Alabama is, you know, past has been one of the perennial powers, but they are not as good this year. When Auburn goes there, uh, so Darian Goburn on the floor is like one of the best in the country. I mean, she's always nine nines, like flirting with the tens on the floor and everything. Alabama had four that scored better than Darian on the floor, and she didn't have any problems. She didn't step out of bounds. She didn't bobble. She had her normal queen routine that was great could have easily been a 10 but they scored her very low and scored four bama girls ahead of her which made zero sense and you know all of a sudden it's like everybody from alabama is having career highs and it, it, it just it, that, that's just one of those things that it doesn't make sense it does it should not happen that way um but that's what happens when you get into subjective judging now you know I guess it was even more disappointing uh, for Auburn yesterday against Missouri in the fact that uh, they struggled. The girls that did compete struggled. They had, they had I know, uh, oh, one of them, uh, uh, one of Auburn's ladies uh, stepped out of bounds, like had a huge mistake on, on one of the routines. Of course, SUNY fell off the beam, which she's been getting tens on that. I mean, this is the Olympic overall champion. She falls. Uh, that's That doesn't happen. So the thing is – Auburn did Auburn uh, people kind of mistake the gymnastics things with the head-to-head deal you're trying to get your national qualifying score your NQS is what they call it and you always want that your qualifying score to be the best it can whether you win head-to-head or not you just need your the qualifying score to be there uh they had a feeling that that qualifying score probably would not be that great because of the 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 judging the way it goes there at Missouri uh, but they also wanted to give uh, a lot of these ladies a chance to kind of have a break and have a rest before you get into the real crunch time of the season. So I get that. But the ladies that Auburn had performing did not step up, other, other than uh, uh, the lady that got, she won the all-around um, for Auburn, even though they lost the meet. I thought she won the all-around. I can all name around. you names, but I don't. Cassie Stevens. It was no. McLaughlin. No. Uh, not, obviously, you know Darian Goburn. I, I, don't, I don't know who all – uh, Sophia Grove. Uh, yes, I think that's who it yeah. was. Um, but but you had a lot of mistakes from a, a, the others, and like I said, and then SUNY falling off the beam is, is almost unheard of. So just a real, just off night. Even though it was a rest night or a rest week or whatever, however you want to call it for them, uh, Sophia Groff took the all around uh, in that trip to Missouri. Okay. So um, even though they, even though the team as as a team lowest score. Uh, all season and they fall at Missouri um, but Groth took the uh, all around so just an off night hopefully they can bounce back and be back to the normal dominant gym team that uh, Auburn has built and trying to get a national title it's going to be tough to get because goodness there, there's some we've, we've got some great gymnasts here at Auburn but uh, I mean Florida has a girl that seems like she gets a 10 or multiple 10s every time she steps foot out on the floor and then you've got some of the others that are great too. So, yeah. but I, I went to the uh, and I can't remember her name, but I went to the SEC championships in Birmingham last year with my family, and that that girl from Florida's insane. She's she's really good, as insane as Suni Lee is, and as sane as uh, Darian Goburn is. The that girl, 
It's, it's just just a different level with some of her stuff. So uh, you had that going on this weekend, branching out in the sports world a little bit. Uh, had a lot of other competitions of varying degrees. Uh, NBA All Star Weekend, uh, not something we don't talk about the NBA a whole lot, but uh, All Star Weekend. It this theme of the games just are not good uh, for all these All Star games, and I kind. Look, the Major League Baseball has the game that is the most like the real game, right? Sure. I mean, I guess I guess MLS does some sort of thing, and, and I, I, I hate the MLS's All Star system because what they do is they have they have one All Star team from all of the MLS teams, and then they just play another team from another league, right? Like another actual team. Like a couple of years ago, somebody like the MLS All Stars played Manchester United and still lost. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think that's at least something because you got a real match there, right? I mean, you didn't just have you people do. just kicking it around for fun. But, but you know, hockey does the three-on-three. Three. We've talked about the Pro Bowl games in recent days. And, I, I at least did, I like that they attempted to do something different because yeah. the Pro Bowl in football has been bad for a long time. I, I didn't think it, it necessarily worked, but, I mean, they did try something which yeah. they needed to because – Again, why why would you play a game like that that just means nothing? Uh, and now this NBA thing. I mean, I, I heard I did not watch all of it. I watched most first half, and I don't really think I watched any of the second half. And the quotes I saw coming in after the game were just, I mean, awful for the game itself. A glorified layup line. Um, what the was, worst was, game of basketball I've ever seen was what Michael Malone said. It was the head coach of one of those teams. Right. Yeah. Uh, Final the, was like one eighty-five to one seventy-five, wasn't it? Right. Something like which, something just which has happened before. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're flirting with two hundred points, right? I mean, in, in these all-star games because nobody's playing any defense, yeah. right? And and look, that that thing has happened before. There was an all-star game six seven years ago. It was like one ninety something to one eighty. Right. So, so that part of it, it's it's been high scoring like that. The weekend as a whole, though, is the is the thing that they've been able to kind of perfect the the skill game type of stuff because the slam dunk contest has been talked about for decades, and the three point contest has become ever more relevant and exciting uh, as the three pointer has become such a pivotal part of basketball now. Uh, they've implemented a skills challenge with with teams of three, which is kind of fun. They obviously have the rookie stuff on, on Friday night and the celebrity game. I think overall it's still the best weekend. But, I mean, is there a way to fix the game? I mean, because you, you – okay, Major League Baseball did something used to do something, and you know where I'm going to go with this, that they don't <laughs> do any longer, where that decided who hosted the World Series, who would sure. have four out of seven. And they fi- and they went away from that a few years ago, and I think I'm in the minority here. I actually like that because you were it was so intense, right. and you're 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 you, you played such a different schedule because you don't play the other league like at all at that time. You only played five teams for three games. You played like 15 games. Now you're at least going to rotate through everyone, and it makes it a little bit better there. But it made it competitive. But at the same time, I don't really want to start seeing that in basketball because you could still have a team win 10 more games than the other team, and they did rotate through the whole league. They played everyone at least twice, and yet, no, they're not hosting the All-Star game because the other team goofed off a little bit more. Your team goofed off a little bit more and didn't win the All-Star game. Like, like I don't, 
is it? I'm just saying, is it fixable? I don't feel like it's fixable. No, I I don't think it is. They they tried to figure out ways that they could fix that Pro Bowl game, and it just when when you just don't have the desire to go out there and play at at a, the highest level, you're not going to change that. Because um, then what's going to happen is you'll have your superstars will start opting out, the ones that just have no in, intention of going out. Hey, listen, I'm an all star. I just want to go out there and relax and and not go full tilt for anything. Just in. And and I, there there are aspects of the fans that enjoy the basketball all star game because you get to see the guys pull off these just stupid dunks and you know because nobody's defending them and so they just you get to see LeBron pull off the crazy stuff he does you get to see John Morant pull off some of the crazy stuff things that they don't get to normally do in a regular game you, they get a chance to do that and kind of show off and so I get that but as far as the game itself it, it's it's pointless. Um, it is what it is. Either you keep it going the way it is, or you just get rid of it. Um, that's that's ultimately what that boils down to. Uh, I don't think getting rid of it is the way to go. I think you just kind of let it just be what it is, uh, because at least you have the get the chance for these guys to show off and do some stuff in the Pro Bowl game. There's not really that. Uh, I mean, there there's you don't have high flying acrobatic dunks in a, in a Pro Bowl football game. It's just a terrible it, when it, it when it was going it was just terrible lackadaisical football um this at least there's some excitement about some it. of the fun elements about basketball right some of the fun there. elements yeah, about yeah. basketball are still there it's not a game worth watching uh if you're looking for a game uh so i think just keep it way it is i like the skill stuff the three-point challenge is cool uh, this year, Mac McClung kind of changed the, the dunk contest a little bit because it had really lost its luster over the last few years. Uh, it is definitely not the dunk contest that I remember growing up with Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb and, and Michael Jordan in some of these. It had just, um, I don't know, it was like not very inventive. Some of the guys that were doing dunks, they're well, not very inventive. Heck, and then some of the stuff they were doing was just dumb. In years past, they just missed a bunch. They, they would yeah. try the harder stuff they would try to just flat out miss yeah at least they were making them the other night that was that was a small check mark i still think even although mac was great the the problem here is as you just alluded to the names you just said we're not going to get those names i don't think ever again these guys no. don't want to do that no they don't. like like they were asking john morant what would it would take and he said i would never do that right john morant's like the guy you would want most to do that and he's yeah. already telling you he ain't ever going to do that and so I like no again no offense to Mac McClung, but in like two years, in all likelihood, unless unless he carves out some sort of bench role with the 76ers here and becomes a role player down the line for a championship team, in two years or three years, you're just going to be like, wait, who won the dunk contest? Mac McClung. Who'd he even play for? Oh, I don't know. It was just right. kind of fun. Like like that's all it is. Like that's sure. where it is. Like Derek Smith Jr. from a couple years ago. I don't even know. Or Derek Jones Jr. I'm sorry. I got his name wrong. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> who won it a couple years ago from the Heat? I don't think the dude's in the league anymore. And like the guy, it's still much more impressive when guys you're familiar with or guys you yeah. like or on your team or just just a matter in the league. Are, are the ones performing this stuff and you if you can't get them to do that right you're i mean maybe you still have an occasional one like this where you at least have a few cool dunks but also like 
what's it going to matter? Because, again, Mac McClung in five years is going to yeah. be a footnote in the NBA. He won't even be in the league. Well, and, and that's the – yeah, the, the, the top stars like a John Morant and those guys aren't going to do it anymore. Um, because, I mean, they, there's a danger aspect that comes with what they're doing. I mean, they make these things look like that. But, I mean, they're doing some crazy stuff that – John Morant does it. He lands wrong and rolls his ankle because he's trying to pull off some crazy 360 windmill through the right. legs dunk and and jams his elbow because he's like so high up at the rim. He jams his elbow or comes down wrong and rolls his ankle and is now out for the remainder of the season because he just decided to do a dunk contest and now he's gone for the year. So they understand there's that aspect. I think those guys back in the day just didn't care. They just wanted to do it because they wanted to do it. Mac McClung, if he if he snaps his ankle, nobody's gonna care. It's gonna suck. It's like, oh that poor guy. But I mean it's like the seventy sixers are not gonna miss a beat because Mac McClung broke his ankle in a dunk contest. Uh yeah, I think these Pro Bowl games, they don't matter. And to give them some kind of meaning, I think, is not the way to go. Um, because, well, Ryan, you touched on the, uh, the the way the MLB used to do it. The winner would host the winning team. That, te- that division's representative would host the World Series, would get four out of the seven. I- I'm really glad they don't do that anymore because doesn't the MLB have the rule of one player from every team has to be an all-star? Yes. And so the worst team in Major League Baseball, their best player still got to go. Right. Their best player knows that they're not making the World Series and right. therefore it has no meaning to that player. Fair. But it still so if it only means something to half the team or five or six of the 20 players on the team because it's really hard to make the MLB postseason. It's probably the hardest postseason to make. Uh it's no, I, I don't want to give it any meaning. I and I'm I'm with you guys. I think that the MLB or the NBA All Star Game has some moment. Seeing Damian Lillard hit that shot from behind half court was really cool. You had uh, Joakim or not Joakim Noah, Nikola Jokic <laughs> tossing that lob to LeBron James that that was in the air for five or six seconds, and then LeBron just timed it perfectly. That was really cool. So you get moments like that. Um. Crap! I had some. Oh, <laughs> some interesting something interesting that I, uh, I I saw last night on Twitter. Mac McClung is in his second year in the G League. He's still had never played an NBA game. He is in the 76ers. Season. He's played three. Has total, he? I think he's played three total NBA games. Okay. So so either way, wow. not, not definitely not a mainstay. No. And <laughs> right now, according to his Wikipedia, plays for the Delaware Bluecoats as a part of the 76ers organization, but. I, last night he won a hundred thousand dollars for winning the NBA dunk contest. For his career, his career earnings are one hundred four thousand dollars. So in one night, he just about doubled his career earnings as a professional Getting basketball player. Getting a nice steak tonight, maybe. So I, I mean, yeah, you're looking at stuff like that, and look, everybody knows Mac McClung can sky. I remember when Auburn was trying to get him. Auburn wanted a point guard, and yeah. they went after Mac McClung and thought they were going to get him for a little while, but. You're right. Mac McClung is not a guy who's ever going to be a mainstay in the NBA. Um, but I think I do kind of like that. He, we got to see a guy we might not otherwise see. Mac McClung is a really entertaining player. He's just not very good. <laughs> um, so when you get to you get to see him just show off the thing he's really really good at, that's kind of interesting to me. Now I'm not saying that I love it. I didn't watch a second of it in in all honesty. But I don't know. It, it was kind of interesting seeing a guy named Mac McClung win the NBA dunk contest. Well, let's also 
admit what it is. The fact that he is a small white guy. Yeah. Is, yeah, is, that is true. That that's kind of the thing. I mean, well, they, you say they, small, he's six two, but well, still, I mean, compared to, undersized for the NBA. Sure, compared to other guys around the NBA, six two is is still short. Six two, and you're getting your head all the way up at the rim. Dude's got hops and everything, but the the fact that it's the I mean, for goodness sakes, they made they they made a movie called White Men Can't Jump. And so, I mean, the the fact that it is a smaller in stature white dude that goes out there and just absolutely carves up the field. He had fifties in every dunk that he made, except the one had all fifties in like one forty nine. Out of that, he scored a fifty on every dunk. These are like some of the better dunks that you will ever see somebody pull off. And and so that made it great. But then also you've got kind of the novelty of of just what it is because it's Mac McClung. It, it was cool, and, and they talked about it. Saved the dunk contest because now next year everybody's going to wonder: Is Mac McClung going to be back in the dunk contest? And with a chance to triple his career earnings, yeah, exactly. just have to get him over from Sp- the Spanish team that he plays yeah. in the well, or something. But the the Neong Red Dragons or whatever. Yeah. Uh, former host of this program, JJ Jackson's a huge dunk contest guy. He was taken in the dunk contest. He uh, thoroughly enjoyed the dunk contest on Saturday and. Because even he had to admit the other year that was not great, but he enjoyed it Saturday night. So as long as we keep the big fans of dunks like JJ happy, then we'll, <laughs> we'll keep doing the dunk contest, keep having it as the last event Saturday night. Got to take our next break of the show. When we come back, best and worst of the weekend here on this Monday edition of Sports Call. attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show Hi, my name is my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 i'm Corey grant former auburn football and nfl running back and you are listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call here on this Monday. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy. Fun show. Starting to hit the last half hour here. Best and worst of the weekend coming up in just a few minutes. But before that happens, let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line. Next up on the program today, Jeff from Columbus. Jeff joins the program. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Uh, I hope you all are having a great evening. Um, Man, uh, the slam dunk competition, I don't even follow basketball or anything like that. Looking on the ESPN app, I saw, you know, Mac McClone wins, you know, a slam dunk competition. I go, who in the world is that? So I turned over there. I had no idea he was 6'2". I just can't imagine how tall everybody else on that court was. I mean, he, I would have thought him 5'8" compared to all the people he was high-fiving and stuff like that. But that, uh, but I know J.J. loves it. But isn't J.J. about six, six foot, six-something? Uh, no, he, he's about – he's 5'10", 5'11". He's, he's basically what oh, I am. Man. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought he was more than that. No, his his dream was to dunk one day, but but yeah. he never got up there. Exactly. And that, see, that was my thing. Is I said that was probably, uh, and I watched the guy dunk. That is unbelievable. I mean, he can tap it off the rim. He can do. He. It, I mean, he jumped over two people. You know, piggyback. I go it, like Tom was saying. His head was over the rim. I go it's short as Spud Webb. That was probably the best I've seen in a long time. I don't know how Spud Webb can dunk, and I can't, or J.J. can't, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or even Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson ought to be able to dunk more than Spud Webb. But uh, it did. It it, it brought – I just wanted to call in because I'm hoping J.J.'s listening because uh, I know he wants to dunk. That's his big thing, you know. So that guy ought to give, give everybody hope. If he can do all that, all, all J.J.'s got to do is get just a little higher, and he could probably get it. <laughs> well, you see, after knee surgery, I, I just don't know. that that In college, and you're still the latter formative years to, to then have a torn ACL, uh, that, that really hurt. It, I, he wasn't going to get – let's be clear. He wasn't going to get there in the first place. But it, <laughs> if, if he had had a second wind of athleticism, he could have gotten close, and uh, that was not happening after the ACL tear. I got you. I didn't know he was a handicap. So, <laughs> oh, shoot, that's probably the only thing that kept him from it then. That, that's what we'll go with, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, good talking to y'all. I just wanted to put in my two cents. Yes, sir. We'll Je- talk to y'all later on. Sounds good, Jeff. Appreciate the phone call. That is Jeff from Columbus joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, Matt McClog again winning the slam dunk contest. Uh, inspiring people like JJ everywhere. Uh, but uh, with that, uh, just a few minutes again, like 15 or so minutes left in the show. So let's go ahead and have a best and worst of the weekend. Now time for the best Woo-hoo! and worst No, no, no! of the weekend. Also want to remind you while I'm thinking of it, uh, a little false advertising, then we'll have best and worst of the weekend. Uh, coming up at 6 o'clock over on FM Talk 93.9, the final Coach GA show of the year, uh, live from Baumhauer's Britt Bowen. We'll have Coach Johnny Harris and some other great guests of Auburn on the program. Again, final one of the year at 6 o'clock with Coach Jay's show. And uh, excited about that. The women's team pushed Tennessee to the very end in Knoxville on Sunday. Uh, looks like they will get a bye in the first round of the SEC tournament. So uh, proud of Auburn women's basketball for the improvement this year. Their final Coach Jay's show coming up again at 6 o'clock on FM Talk 93.9. Best and worst of the weekend. Uh, I'm going to lead off with best. Uh, and we'll start with best, and I'll lead off with best. Wanted to get this uh, two cents in because don't want to make it a, a whole topic for everyone to have to endure because I know not a lot of golf people out there. But my best was Tiger Woods returning the golf course this weekend. Uh, was able to make the cut and play all four rounds, finished tied for 46th. And look, there have been opportunities over the last few years with Tiger's waning health for – uh, other people to step up in the limelight. And there's certainly some great golfers out there. John Rahm won again this weekend, and he's world number one. He has had uh, a really good young career. We know that others have taken turns like Justin Thomas and uh, before him someone like Jordan Spieth, yeah. Roy McIlroy over the last 10 years or so. But still, even with, when he's gone, no one can take the limelight. No one can move the needle the way that even a 47-year-old Tiger Woods can 
Uh, again, he's the reason that I ever got on a golf course in the first place. The reason I played high school golf. I'm no, I'm not at all some success story in the sport of golf, but I did start playing the sport because of Tiger. And I think a lot of people probably in that boat. They certainly might watch the sport because of Tiger. And we don't have a lot of tournaments left with him. We don't re- really know how many more we'll have. Uh, his health still not the best. He said he'll never play a full schedule again. We'll just try and play the majors plus one or two per year. And even that, we don't expect to go well into his 50s. So just appreciating the time we have left with one of the game's all-time greats, really the all-time great in the sport of golf. And uh, just always appreciate getting to watch someone like that and watch, watch him play. So my best was just getting to see four rounds of Tiger Woods this weekend. Uh, my best is going to go to Auburn softball, going 5-0 and on the weekend in the Tiger Invitational, mostly because that's what I did this weekend. I was uh, here in these studios uh, board-opping those games. Shout-out to Jacob Hillman, first time working with him, a uh, young guy out of the uh, – uh, part of the Weagle crew, wasn't he? Uh, he was originally at Weagle, I believe, and I know he uh, was kind of head of the student section, Auburn Jungle, too. Okay. Uh, when he was in college, and now he's first year out of college. Nice. So, uh, And now working with the Auburn Sports Network. So uh, really fun working with him over the weekend and uh, d- doing those games. So uh, a lot of fun doing that. And 5-0 and on the weekend, five, good t- five big-time wins for the Lady Tigers as well. Run ruled in three of the five, I think. So uh, maybe even four of the five, but and uh, ended up winning the thing. So... Uh, a great showing from Auburn softball over the weekend. Um, my my best was going to be the Auburn Mardi Gras parade Saturday. We had our fire truck in it and uh, got to throw beads and a bunch of other stuff off the truck. But, man, people don't realize how big of a crowd shows up for those Mardi Gras parades downtown Auburn until you, drive, until you ride in one of them and you realize, like, how deafening loud the crowds are, especially when you approach Tumor's Corner. That is fun. That's so much fun. All so, right. Yeah. That was that was my excitement for the weekend. Nice. All right. What was your non-excitement for the weekend? Uh non-excitement I I guess uh I don't want to I don't want to say the weekend of Auburn sports because baseball did do well and softball did do well. Um the basketball game it kind of put that sting on it, but really Sunday was Sunday was a stinker. Um baseball just got blasted by Indiana and then the gymnastics team uh, had their uh, their see their their match that they did against Missouri, and so just it, you felt like, especially with baseball, there's a lot of positives that were from those first two, and then just to get your doors ripped off on that next one, you're like, ugh, that that just left a nasty taste in your mouth. And you're like, all right, well, we got gymnastics, and they ought to have a big meet against Missouri. No, even Sooney fell off the the beam, like that gummit. So yeah, Sunday Sunday Auburn sports was just kind of a eef, one to forget about. Yeah, my worst of the weekend is going to be the NBA All-Star game. Uh, just not a not a great showing, uh, especially defensively. Got to see some cool stuff, but, you know, glorified layup line, I, I think, was uh, the line that was used. And, yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Well, and what's frustrating about that, too, that was kind of kind of my worst as well, was just that the re- kind of more generalized, the realization that we can't really have a true – mono mono all-star game in these yeah. major sports I, I think is my my overall worst but like you, you go through and you think about what all these leagues have tried to do to change the various stuff and in basketball a couple of years ago they actually had a fun all-star game like it wasn't last year i think it was the year before they changed the format to where you play up to a certain number and there was real defense in the fourth quarter when they when they set the target number and had to get to the last like 20 or 30 points it's the the elam ending yeah th- that was actually good 
basketball for 15 or 20 minutes there. I, I was I was taken aback. It was a, it was probably a best of the weekend if I'd been on that Monday show the the following day because we found a way to do it and they kept that format. And for whatever reason, the last two years that intensity waned in the fourth quarter, and, and it just has not mattered. And uh, you know, again, my worst is not that the All Star game was a layup line and and that it was quote the worst game of basketball ever. It's not that. It's just that I wish there was a way in a, in a perfect world, which this world surely is not. But in a perfect world, I wish there was a way to have the absolute tops of both conferences in all these sports actually play each other in a game they tried. And I look and look, I, I get there's really no way to do that. But if you ever played a video game as a kid or have kids that play a video game and you did the all star game, you would you would get to have all those legends and all those top players in each sport play each other. And look, the video game's not going to gonna give a half effort. It's going to be a real game. It's all right. There you go. It's going to be, you know, LeBron guarding Giannis for real. And it's going to be, uh, you know, Jason Tatum playing against, you know, whoever. It, it would be these best players. But unfortunately, in real life, it just doesn't work out like that. So uh, they just don't care and there's really no way to get them to care and i guess we should just drop the subject but again just have all this star power and then not actually have any sort of product to to put on with it uh is just is just kind of frustrating but but that's the way it is and that's the way it's going to be do you want to see nba all-stars play each other in 2k <laughs> no not actually in a video no <laughs> Uh, simply just using the the analogy right, of being right. able to have I think them. that would be f- kind of fun for a little while, you know, to have, like you said, LeBron and Giannis going head-to-head with the Lakers and the Bucks. you know? <laughs> yeah, I just, I think after a minute or two of trash talk, we'd all wonder what we were doing here. We were playing, <laughs> playing video games at the end of the day. Uh, so, uh, not quite like that, but certainly appreciate All-Stars, appreciate the star power, but just not providing an actual all-star caliber product uh, when we get together for all these all-star games and that sort of thing all right final break of the show when we come back start to wrap things up nightly tv guy we'll get you out of here on this monday edition of sports call stay tuned Join our conversation. Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to Sports Call here on this Monday. Final couple minutes. Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here. We've mentioned just about everything today. Did want to throw out there again uh, Daytona 500 from this past weekend. NASCAR season officially underway. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning from JTG Doherty Racing. Another smaller racing team. Another kind of a surprise victory uh, for the 500. Uh, Stenhouse has been always a good restricted plate racer. Uh, he's won at Ta- Daytona and Talladega before, just not the 500. 
Uh, so he gets his third career win, wins the Daytona 500. A lot of wrecks towards the end, as you can yeah. uh, usually expect with a restricted plate race. And Tom often often racing for another yeah. year of NASCAR. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Did you watch any of that on Sunday? I did. Uh, mainly toward uh, the beginning. Uh, watched all the all the uh, stuff leading up to it. I, I enjoy all the uh, the festivities leading up. And a lot of the first part of the race, and I had to take a nap. <laughs> I'm getting old. Oh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, old have to have my midday nap. But I, I called the end, especially all the overtime periods and all the wrecks. But it's kind of to be expected. Uh, yeah. In fact, the race technically didn't even end. I mean, it ended on a caution. Right. Because they wrecked all behind them. Stenhouse just happened to be in the lead when the caution flag dropped. Yeah, that's another thing, man. You can get me irritated on some of that stuff when they throw the caution and all that. Right. Since it was in turn one, I get that. But if you're down the back stretch and wreck, let them go back to the line. Right. They're they're not going to be coming back a full mile and a half later going 190. They'll have plenty of time to cross the start-finish line. The, the spotter come in the ear and say, hey, slow down, wreck in, in the back straight slow down slow down you know that's plenty of time and turn one it's a little different it's get a little too close for comfort but man you can irk me with that when they don't let let them race back and again that's a safety thing but you don't product and safety and all that you got to use some judgment there again turn one totally get it but if it's backstretch or turn three or four you got to let them go to the line but anyway uh enjoyed it Great to have NASCAR back. Our boy Brett Holmes in the Truck Series, uh, unfortunately, did wreck in the Truck Series race Friday night. They did not even you know you know what's even worse than throwing the caution flag on the on the last lap, having to throw the red flag flag for rain and never getting it going again. And that's what happened in the Truck Series on Friday night. I think Brett finished like 29th or 30th. He got involved in a wreck early there. But great to have NASCAR back. We'll certainly keep track of that. All season long, only a minute or so left in the show, so time for Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Six o'clock, you got men's college basketball on ESPN. Louisville goes to Duke. If you'd like to not be nauseous tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN2, West Virginia host Oklahoma State. Also at 6 o'clock on FS1, a little women's college basketball, number 12, Michigan, and number 16, Ohio State. And then a couple of movie picks for you, 6 o'clock on FX, it's The Help. And at 7.12 on Stars, it's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh... I don't, again, don't know why some of these channels like Stars, Showtime, Cinemax, all that have like 7-12 start times. It's like a green flag time, honestly, for a race. You can't go at 2 or 1.30 or 2.30. You got to go like 2-12, 2-16. And uh, Ryan's playing the Apes 7-12 there on Stars. And that is your nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that will do it for the show today. Uh, Brant, thank you for being here. We'll see you a little bit later this week. Thank you for having me. And Tom, appreciate you being here as well. We'll see you again tomorrow. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. We also appreciate Kevin Ives at AUPPL on Twitter for joining us here on the show today to talk a little Auburn baseball. And all as always, we appreciate those of you who tuned in and called in today. For Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry, my name is Ryan the Boy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.